Talking Illinois High School Football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome into View from the West podcast. I'm your host, Greg Armstrong, once again joined by Twitter guru. What, what do I call you? Uh, you know, the, the webmaster on Friday and Saturdays for View from the West podcast. Yeah, I, I spent all of my time and neglect my kids during playoff season because I'm just <laughs> on there all afternoon or all, all night on Friday and all afternoon on Saturday. So it's it's worth it, though. It, it's uh, we, we need the content, Greg. We, we got to have it. Well, Mitch, I'll step up and say you're still a great father. You're giving the viewers what they the listeners yeah. what they need. You're still a good dad. So we'll, yeah, that's you know, we'll, that's that's the power. That's the power of Twitter. We've talked about uh, how far technology has come in the past. So it's, it's easy to multitask. But uh you know, and with uh, with this show and uh, the amount of good teams we have, it's hard to keep up, but uh, technology makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you to everyone who listens, who's followed along all season. If you're not following on Twitter, at ViewFromWestPod, as we said, Mitch is kind of our eyes and ears from a thousand feet looking at all the games as they're happening on Fridays or now Saturdays. Um, I'm the eyes and ears walking the sidelines at a game or two each week. I was at Newman Mercer County in Alito. It was beautiful weather for playoff football. Mm-hmm. But Mitch, let's dive right into our week two, or our sorry, our round two of the IHSA playoffs here. We'll start with the big schools. We'll look back at round one, and then we'll look at what's ahead in round two for our teams that have survived and advanced. Mitch, we're going to start talk about one team that did just that, survive in advance. Moline Maroons get the 48-42 to win over Hampshire. Mitch, this game kind of looked like it was going to be a blowout in the beginning. But, man, Hampshire, they they snuck back into this one, and it it was an entertaining football game in the end. Were you monitoring this one on uh, Friday night? Yeah, and it was – and we'll get to the, the Rock Island game in a minute. Um, but I oh, had, we'll, I, oh, we'll get to the yeah, Rock we'll, Island game. Yeah. We'll get to it. And, and this point might even make it more interesting because I think I had tweeted out early Friday. Um, both of the teams were up 14 nothing at one time. And I, th- I think my tweet was, you know, big, the Western Big Six came to play. Um, and, and for Moline, that, yeah, that held true. Um, for, for Rock Island, it did not. But, we'll, again, we'll get into that in a minute. But, yeah, they, they were up 27 nothing in this game at one point. Um, and it looked like a typical Moline game where their offense was really shining. Uh, running the ball, controlling the clock, controlling uh, all the tempo. And then Hampshire just proved that they had some talent, proved that they're a playoff team, and it made it a really interesting game. Yeah, Moline, uh, like you said, looked really well early on in this one, building a big lead. They battle through this and get the win. A big name for the, for the Maroons, Riley Fuller, a name we've talked about in weeks past. Their junior running back ran for 172 yards. Man, he was the workhorse, Mitch. 29 carries on the night. Yeah. His biggest run coming as a 58-yard touchdown run just before halftime, and that would stop some of the Hampshire momentum. Obviously, Hampshire would keep the momentum building, though. They were not going to go away. Teams traded scores throughout the entire second half. Moline leading by six with 2.03 left to play. The Whippers had the ball deep in their own territory, but four straight incompletions. The Maroon secondary, they showed up. That Moline yep. defense we've talked about all year. They gave up some points, but they finally came up with the big stops when they needed them. They deny Hampshire the comeback win. 
So they get the win 48 to 42. They advance now to play Willowbrook. Willowbrook was the 21, the number 21 seed, Villa Park, who got a 44 to nothing win over Whitney Young. So Mitch, Friday night, seven o'clock in Willowbrook. It's Villa Park versus Moline. Eight and one versus, or I'm sorry, nine and one now versus a seven and three Villa Park team. What do you know about the Willowbrook Warriors? Well, they come from a pretty good conference. Um, you know, obviously, coming in the Villa Park area, you're getting into the Chicago suburbs. So they're playing in the West Suburban uh, Conference, the Gold Division. Uh, again, I don't know if that's the correct uh, way to say that because they just get so convoluted with conferences. But they're in the West Suburban, um, a team that's been around for a while in the playoffs. Twenty. This is their 23rd appearance. Obviously, like you said, they they won their first round uh, big, 44 nothing. Um, they're a battle-tested team. You know, they're, they're seven and three, but they played teams that you see a lot this time of year, Providence Catholic, Downers Grove North, Downers Grove South. Um, you know, they had a kind of like, we're going to, I think we're going to see both defenses kind of come to play, or, or at least it's going to be who can break first because like Moline, they had a streak of four straight games where they uh, didn't allow many points. Uh, Willowbrook allowed seven in each of those games where Moline had that, that shutout streak. Um, but you know, again, this is where we've talked about with a lot of teams, a Chicago area school where you don't want to take a whole lot of measure in their record all the time. They, they only played two teams with a winning record. Uh, but but again, that they are they're playing bigger schools. I saw a couple uh, on their schedule that they were that dwarfed, uh, you know, their, their own school size. So um, it, more recently uh, on, on Friday night, it was they, they beat Whitney Young 44 nothing. And it was I saw video from this game. It was like a monsoon. Um, just grass, it was raining, it was wet. And they did something a little differently where they kind of changed offensive strategy. They didn't want to deal with the quarterback handing the ball off all the time, just, you know, eliminate the middleman here. Um, they didn't pass for a single yard in this game. And so they would just do direct snaps to their backs. And, and it really worked out well. They've got a guy named Joey Tamilti. He had 236 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, and they held Whitney Young to 71 yards of offense. So um, this is going to be a really good matchup. I, I think two good running teams that have complementary defenses. Um, and, it, and it's going to be it's going to be like a heavyweight fight, I think, on Friday night. Yeah, that's really interesting because of the weather dictating kind of how they ran their offense. What does Mike Morrissey and the Maroons get out of that game film? You know, because. If that's not something they would normally do, I'm sure they probably have practiced it. Obviously, they're not going to throw yep. it in in round one of the playoffs if you haven't tried it a little bit. But if they're not passing the ball at all on a, in a round one victory, part of partially because maybe they didn't have to because they got a lead and didn't need to do it. But, you know, you kind of wonder what Moline's going to see on film. And I think when you look at, um, you know, kind of their numbers throughout the regular season, you know, four consecutive games only allowing seven points. So... You know, this is, we've talked about Moline's defense so much. This could be a defensive battle, which would be obviously a little bit different than what we saw in round one for Moline. But right. I think what plays into Moline's strengths is that we've seen now that they can play both games. They can yep. go, they can go score for score with you and keep up, or they can shut you down and they can play really good defensive football, which we've seen them do throughout the season. Um, it should be noted, Mitch, that Mike Morrissey has the most playoff wins in school history. So congratulations to Mike Morrissey and building up this Maroon program to what yeah. it is now. And it's really become kind of one of the staples in the Western Big Six, them able to come back 
and recapture the Western Big Six crown, which had eluded them the first year that Sterling stepped in. So, um, you know, Moline certainly trending in the right direction and getting that round one playoff win is just one more notch, you know, to keep moving up the, up the chain here. Yeah, and I think it's good for Moline to have a game like that in the first round. You know, you, you see a lot of times um, in different classes where a higher seed, uh, Willowbrook is, is a good example, not taking any, anything away from that win. You see more blowouts in the first round. Um, and for Moline, you know, Hampshire was a really good team. They had a really good offense. Um, and so that was that was a, a really compliment to, to Moline to, uh, to not only be up that much, but to you know maintain that lead and come out with a win. And maybe getting battle tested like that in the first round is going to be a good experience for them um, and hopefully getting into uh, another week of football. I do like that they were tested in round one, especially when you consider that Willowbrook's coming off a 44 to nothing win over Whitney Young. So, you know, they weren't necessarily having to, you know, feel that pressure. They weren't, you know, they weren't tested right away. So I think that maybe that mentality isn't, isn't there and you never know. I mean, but with Moline being tested and kind of getting that battle in round one there, maybe their focus is, is right there from the opening snap of this one. So um, Moline and Willowbrook Friday night, seven o'clock on the road. So Moline has to travel for this one uh, to Willowbrook, but um, you know, best of luck to the Maroons and uh, yeah, this one should be a good one. And looking down the way Moline or Willowbrook will play the winner of Wheaton North that they're the number four seed or Hoffman Estates, which is the number 13 seed. And Mitch, the interesting thing to note is Wheaton North is nine and one and Hoffman Estates is eight and two. So mm-hmm. you're going to face a very good opponent if you keep moving on. And I know, sure, you you expect to do that, you know, this getting deeper into the playoffs, but you start looking above in the bracket and Yorkville up there is still in at a number 25 seed at six and four. Um, Mount Carmel is seven and three. So there's some schools with records that, you know, don't look as impressive. Now they still might have the resume to prove it. You know, when you start talking about teams like Mount Carmel, but, um, you know, either way, it's going to get more intense from here, but the Molines will um, be on the road and I'm sure they'll be battled. You know, they'll be um, battle tested and ready to go in this one against Willowbrook. All right, Mitch, we referenced it earlier. Springfield 94 rock Island. 72 <laughs> again got, yeah yeah the, the listeners can't see me i've just got my hand over my face because i can't uh, when this was this was one of the last games to get over on friday night well yeah uh, for for obvious reasons yeah and so you know the uh, and, and unfortunately it wasn't being streamed um i know i know what what a, what a must watch this would have been because the updates on online were just coming in seemingly every 30 seconds that someone was scoring this is just it's nuts it's it's insane yeah Mitch we talked about it going into this one that Springfield had a pretty high powered offense and we thought Rock Island also could put up the points no way no way did anyone think that no you're gonna see something like this no Mitch you compiled the notes here just yeah. <laughs> go through some of the numbers okay. and if you, you know mind-boggling is the phrase that comes to mind yeah, um, and these aren't even all of them um, because IHSA doesn't have a, a, a full – they have a really good uh, list of, of records. It's not completely in-depth as much as you would see on, like, you know, footballreference.com or something like that, but it, it does a pretty good job. So what, what I'm about to go through might not even be all the records that were set, um, but we can only assume that they broke all of them. 
Um, so, so first and foremost, a 94 to 72 game certainly set the all-time record for most combined points in any class of IHSA playoffs, 166. I, I believe the old record was 161, and that was like a two-way game with, with, with Deer Creek Mackinac and somebody. Um, Springfield, despite 94 points, Springfield was uh, a two-point conversion away, which they failed in, in one of the, the final minutes, one of their final scores. They were two points away from tying the all-time record for most points scored by a team, uh, which was Peoria uh, back in 2016. So the record is 96, which is which is insane uh, to begin with. Uh, and then to, to say that they didn't break a record in this game is even is even more surprising. So 94, not the most points scored in a playoff game, but the second most. For Rock Island, scoring 72 points prior to this game, that was the most points scored by a team in 6A playoff history. But that team won. I think I think it was Joliet Cat. I think it was Joliet Catholic, I think, had won, had put up 72. Um, so this certainly sets the record for most points by a team in a loss in IHSA playoff, playoff history a, across any class. Um, I, I, I'm just running through these. Springfield scored a playoff record 14 touchdowns, three more than than one team in any class. Most uh, the 6A record for most total offense in a game. They had 724 total yards of offense combined with Rock Island. They set the record for most combined total offense over 1,200 yards in this one. Both teams rushed for over 400 yards, which is mind-boggling. Um, 864 combined yards rushing, which the that's one of the, the one of the stats that the IHSA does not list. They don't list it for playoff games, but they list it for title games. Um, and, and oddly enough, the record uh, for most combined rushing yards in a title game comes from Geneseo's 4A title game in 2009. It was 670. So this game in the playoff was just under 200 yards more than that. <laughs> um, and yet, still, Springfield ran for 481 yards. Wasn't even a Class 6A record. That belongs uh, – they were two yards away from that. That was set uh, over 15 years ago. Their, their lead back was Tyree Coleman. Uh, he had 255 yards rushing and four four touchdowns. Um, and again, what, what more haven't we said? Each team combined for 63 first downs, 139 offensive plays. Here's the here's the one that sticks out. 94 to 72. There were three punts in this game. Three. <laughs> so uh, again, this was just. I don't know what you take from this game. I don't know. I, I didn't see any of Coach Hammer's post game stuff. I just I don't know what you take because, you know, you played so. It I don't even want to say you played so well because you gave up ninety four points, but you scored seventy two. It, it's just you know insane. One, one person who did do really good. Uh, tell me what uh, Quintarian Brooks did. I was going to say we'll we'll focus on the positive for Rock Island. Yeah. Junior tailback Quintarian Brooks rushed for three hundred yards on thirty four carries, five touchdowns, and a kick return for a touchdown. So, man, it's it's in a losing effort, but what a springboard into next year as a junior, yeah. you know, for the Rocks. He's going to be electric next year. So, you know, take that small positive. You know, Mitch, we joked in the spring about the Western Big 12. That's, that's yeah. the, the Western Big 6 looking like the college, you know, version yeah. of the Big 12. Um, but I, I don't think we ever really, really meant, like, like this, like, you know, no, the Quintarian Brooks versus uh, uh, Springfield's Rashad Rochelle. Yeah, uh, this 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 was like uh, when 
Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes went up against each other when it was uh, Oklahoma against Texas Tech. And I don't remember what the score of that game was, but they each threw for over 700 yards or something. Like, it was just insane. Yes, I do remember um, that. Yep. So, we, we talked about Springfield's running back had 255 yards, but really the player of the game was, was Rashad Rochelle, who we mentioned on the preview show. Um, going to Rutgers, three-star athlete, just a dynamic player. <laughs> had nine touchdowns in this game. So, um, just – Again, you're you're kind of at a loss for words. Um, crazy exciting. You know, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of <laughs> defensively you would have liked to have done better. Um, but they were they were also kind of giving that to Rock Island, too. And it was just a matter of of yeah, and that's the other thing, Greg. Rock Island was still in this game. They oh, were yeah. Still in the game in the fourth quarter. It was only like 14 points or something. And just uh, it, it's insane I, I would love to know what the players thought playing it I would imagine they were exhausted but whoo that's a lot of points yeah I mean they were very much in the game and it, I was listening to it um on the QC Sportsnet broadcast with Ken Jacoby and I mean every time the Springfield would score or every time sorry every time Rock Island would score and it was the same okay can we get a stop can Rock Island get a stop <laughs> yeah. Rock Island needs a stop and it just Unfortunately, there there were not stops to be had. It was just, yeah. it's a game that, you know, certainly anyone there will never forget watching it. Actually, Mitch, before we wrap this one up, a really cool uh, message I got late Friday night after this game had ended. Yeah. Um, I believe that Kiwani's head coach, Brad Swanson, I believe he was at the game. He sent me a message saying, uh, fun fact, that in the fall of 2007, when mm-hmm. he was 22-year-old young coach, he was Roy Gully's eighth grade assistant coach at Churchill Junior High in Galesburg. So I All knew right. there was a local connection, but that's very local to uh, to Galesburg and to uh, you know and, the local area there. And I was curious on Friday night when we got a when we got a message of the, it was a picture of the scoreboard from the Kiwani uh, account, and I, I was just kind of curious why they sent that. But now you know now it makes sense. Yeah. So uh, you know Roy Gully, uh, like we said, um, retire or not retiring. He's you know stepping down at the end of the year. Um, whenever the season ends for Springfield. So, uh, man, they, they made, uh, they made a memory out of this game. Although Mitch, I did read his quote after the game was that he said it was undisciplined and embarrassing. When do you remember a winning coach in a playoff game calling their team's effort embarrassing? Especially when it was the first playoff victory in school history. And, oh my gosh. And likely could be his last, um, you know, because wow. one, you never know. You, you, one, you never know what's going to happen in in the playoffs. But two, they're playing Lamont, who is really good. Yeah. So yeah, I can get that. You you know, you're certainly going to want to clean things up for round two. But man, just when when you're going out at the end of the season, just enjoy every game that you get because you never know when it's going to come to an end. So uh, again, I understand that you you have things to clean up. You just scored 94 points. Like just <laughs> just take the win and go. <laughs> I'll I'll give him I'll give him the benefit of the doubt in knowing that I think as a head coach, sometimes you always get the bad parts of a game stuck in yeah. your head more than the positives. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt right after the game, you get sucked into, you know, what can we clean up? What can we do better? Obviously there was a lot to look at to, to do better defensively yeah. for both teams. So we'll, we'll give him the benefit there, but uh, anyway, yeah. wild, wild finish, wild game, 94, 72 final Springfield moving on. Mitch, that means we're moving on into 5A, and man, the 5A playoffs were just not friendly to our 
to our local Sterling Golden Warriors. They fall to the number 13 seed Chicago St. Patrick, 44 to 14 to finish their year at seven and three. And Mitch, I don't know. I just, the way that Sterling had been banged up throughout the year, I just had a bad feeling going into this one. And man, you talk about injury on top of insult, you know, for Sterling in this case, the opening drive of the game, Sterling gets down into the red zone. The Western Big Six is leading rusher. Their, you know, go-to back, Antonio Tablante for Sterling. He's been great all year for him. He's been the shining spot, you know, among the injuries. He gets he gets stood up at the goal line from the St. Patrick defense. He fumbles the ball, falls to the ground. He gets hurt, does not come back into the game. I believe he's only a junior, so we certainly hope, you know, the best for him that it's, uh, you know, a quick recovery and that he's able to get healthy and, you know, work towards next season. Cause man, he's got a bright future ahead of him, but that, you know, that I had, like I said, I had a bad feeling going into this game and then that happens. And it's just, yeah. it's so deflating. I, I just, I feel bad for Sterling. Cause that's, it's such a tough way to start a game when you've already been yep. so banged up this year. Yeah. We, and we, I think we talked about this in the Moline game um, where, we would have loved to have seen a, a full strength Sterling team go up against Moline. Um, not, you know, not indicating that the result would have been any different and, and certainly not in this game too, because St. Patrick is a really good team. Yeah. But you just, it's just a matter of what if, you know, um, and that's unfortunate for these kids who, who did so well. Um, now we when we've talked about Sterling really going back to the spring too, when they were, you know, uh, playing a little roulette with their players due to different, different, uh, injuries or, or COVID related matters. And in this year too, with injuries, um, you get a lot of players that got some playing time, you know, like you said, the coming back. Um, they played a lot of sophomores um, that, that got some playing time. So, you know, Sterling's going to regroup. They're, they're going to get stronger from this. Um, just, you know, you're, when you get into the playoffs and you, you, you face a team that's so good defensively, and then you add in injuries for your own team and, and, you know, misfortunes with fumbles and whatnot, it's just not going to go your way. Um, so yeah, not the way they wanted to go out, but th- there are still a lot of things to take away from this game for Sterling. Cause I, I think we'll be talking about them quite a bit uh, towards the top of the Western big six table uh, next fall. Yeah. I think they've proven, you know, the past few years that they're a contender year in and year out. And I, I think we know some names that will still be in the mix next season. And, you know, this coaching staff will have, the group that is back ready to roll. Um, but Mitch, we, yeah, this is no slight to St. Patrick. They're a very good football yeah. team, which is kind of why I had that, you know, that, that feeling that things may not work this week for yep. Sterling uh, Jermaine young, their quarterback nine for 12 passing 110 yards through the air, three scores while rushing for 93 yards and a score. So a yep. dynamic offensive weapon for St. Patrick and they come away with the win they will move on to play Rochelle in the second round. So that, that kind of local matchup, that former conference rival matchup between Sterling and Rochelle won't happen as St. Patrick is moving on. So Mitch, let's dive into yep. class 4A. And this was a thriller. Kiwani gets the 17 to 14 win over Plano. Kiwani yeah. had to rally back and score 17 unanswered points including a game-winning 41-yard field goal as time expired to move on. What a thrilling win for Kiwani. Man, they've 
they've had some exciting football this year, but none better than that one. Round one at home. I mean, on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. And man, they send that crowd home in a frenzy and they're moving on to the second round. Yeah. Um, you know, Plano, as we talked about on the playoff pod, um, or preview pod, I should say, uh, a good team, you know, two-time state champs recently. Um, and we talked about two of their players, Ray Jones Jr. and Wally Johnson. And sure enough, uh, they were both players that scored for Plano um, in, in the first half. Um, I believe Roy, Roy Jones uh, scored in the first quarter and Johnson added in the second. So they were up 14 nothing. So Kiwani goes into uh, into half down 14 nothing at home. Great year. Um, coming off a week line, a week nine loss. And I, I don't know exactly what the, the mood was, but there was obviously upbeat because they came back and made some adjustments that, and, that, and that's a credit to the coaching staff. Um, you know, maybe after watching that rock Island Springfield game on Friday night, they, they thought maybe we should focus uh, <laughs> on the, on the defensive <laughs> end of things. So they, they bring their safeties up. They try and cut down on that good plano rushing attack. And, and it really worked um, because they, they came back and, you know, um, we, we saw their playmakers that we've talked about all year do it. Yeah. I think that this Boilermaker team being senior led and having a lot of experienced ball players, I think that's where I give the credit to, they didn't flinch. You know, they, they were down 14, nothing, but they certainly weren't out of it and they were able to fight back, you know, despite having, so Kiwani trailed 14, nothing at the half. Like we said, they make the adjustments. Will Bruno, you know, he had a little bit of an off day. He still threw for 113 yards, but had three interceptions. He mm-hmm. has a one-yard sneak to get Kiwani on the board late in the third quarter. With four minutes left in the game, Kiantas Patterson, a one-yard touchdown run. That would tie it at 14. Kiwani gets the ball back late in the fourth quarter. They drive down to the Reaper 23-yard line with 3.6 seconds left on the clock. Brady Clark steps up clutch for the Boilermakers. He gets just enough of a 41-yard field goal. Man, go crazy, folks, in Kiwani. You get the win. You're moving on. For Plano, Ray Jones ended with 159 yards and a touchdown. The Reavers actually did outgain Kiwani 293 to 214. So Plano played a good game, but Kiwani made the stops when they needed to. They made the plays on offense when they needed to. And, man, you talk about, you know, Brady Clark stepping up to the moment. Mitch, that's yeah. that's clutch. Forty-one yards in the playoffs. That's so clutch. Yeah. Um, and and whoever I don't mention is gonna give me grief about this. And I, so I won't say it. I'll flip it to you. Who who has that video? Was it was it Dazzo or was it was it Cuff? Yeah, Dazzo, Matt Randazzo okay. was there. Yep. Okay. Sports I didn't want to say the wrong I didn't want to say the wrong name. So yeah, we uh we retweeted that and it got a lot of play from his account too. So yeah, he gets it's a great shot. And he gets just enough of it. Um, I, th- I think I remember seeing the post-game interview where they did have the wind. And so they were at the 23-yard line. And they, they thought that would be enough with, with a little bit of wind. And it was just a little bit enough. So, um, yeah, good for Kiwani. You know, we talked about in the, in the preview pod that we wanted to see them play, at least on the defensive end, like they did against Princeton. Um, and, I, I, and I think they did because, uh, as we said, Plano is a really, really good team. Um, and so, yeah, great, great for Kiwani. Great to see that, that they get the win at home. Um, and now they got a big test coming up in round two. Yeah. Interesting matchup in round two. Kiwani, the number three seed will host the number six seed Chicago Phillips. 
Chicago Phillips coming in at eight and two. They get the win over Dixon 50 to 26 in round one. And I say interesting because Chicago Phillips out of the Chicago Public League, but they, to me, are the team that kind of like, they made the big jump when it was like every year you'd see Chicago Public School teams play in the playoffs. And a lot of years they didn't match up, you know, and I remember going to games against Genesee or with Geneseo playing them. I believe it was against Phillips and, um, you know, Geneseo would come away with pretty convincing wins and you'd mm-hmm. see it around the state, different games. The Chicago public league wasn't hanging with teams around the state. This right. Chicago Phillips program really changed that narrative. They're two time state champions. Now they won it in 2015 in class four, a they won it in 2017 in class five, a, so, I mean, this is a proven program and, you know, again, they're in the, they're in the playoffs and they're a good program year in and year out now. Yeah. Eight straight wins for, or sorry, eight plus wins in uh, in eight straight seasons. So like you said, just a team that's really consistent coming out of the Chicago public league, cause you never know uh, what those teams are going to look like. So uh, congrats to the Wildcats. Like you said, two-time state champs in recent years. Uh, two pretty good players. Uh, Deshaun Hill had 215 yards and four touchdowns in that round one win over Dixon. They got a quarterback, Tyler Turner. He passed. They, they don't pass a lot, but he was he was 10 of 17 for 121 in a touchdown. So, um, so yeah, this will be another game where Kiwani is really going to have to step up defensively, um, and they're going to probably need to have a little bit more offensive output uh, against Phillips. So, um, you know, review the tape against Plano, and uh, you know. You know, I, I expect Will Bruno to be back on track. Like you said, he kind of had an off day with those three picks, um, but we've seen him do do really well all year. Um, and so round two is where uh, where you have to bring it. And uh, I, I expect the Boilermakers to do because they're playing again at home. Yeah, it's great for them to get another home game, um, especially when it is a difference between either traveling into Chicago or Chicago yep. traveling to you. I, I always think that's yep. a big that's a big home field advantage to stay at home yep. in this case. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think that Kiwani's got to find some consistency on offense, but we've talked about them being a really solid overall football team in all three phases. They fly mm-hmm. to the football. They play hard-nosed defense. They limit big plays from teams for the most part. And the special teams has always been, you know, has done their job. And you saw it. I mean, you obviously, you know, the game-winning field goal, and the defensive yep. effort to hold Plano after they go up 14, nothing, but yeah, you, you got to obviously control the ball. You can't turn the ball over three times. And I think that's an outlier for Will Bruno. I don't think we'll see that two weeks in a row. I think he's too good of a quarterback. If they can establish themselves early, I, I like it. Look out. I think he could be headed on to, uh, to the quarterfinals if they can play well. And, and who, what's, what's that bracket look like? If they do, who would they play? So they will play the winner of Stillman Valley, who's the seven seed or the number two seed, Richmond Burton. Richmond Burton sitting at 10 and 0. They've been really good this year. Yeah. And actually both teams, Richmond Burton won 56, nothing in the first round over Chicago Sullivan and Stillman Valley won 62 to 14 over Hyde Park out of Chicago. So both teams coming off decisive wins in the first round. They'll meet each other and the winner will take on the winner of Phillips and Kiwani. So, uh, you know, it's what you expect this time of year. You know, teams yep. like Richmond Burton and Stillman Valley, the names you expect to go up against, and that would put Kiwani on the road. I'm assuming they, if they have two straight home games, they're almost yeah. assured to be on the road if they can advance into the quarterfinals. 
Yeah. And, and kind of like we talked about with Moline, you know, you get a battle tested game in round one. Um, you know, it, it should serve you better in round two than a blowout win. So uh, hopefully, like we talked about, the, the, the Boilmakers can can uh, take things from from their film against Plano and uh, get the offense uh, back on track a little bit more here uh, against Phillips. All right, Mitch. Well, let's head into class three. A we'll be in the North bracket uh, talking about the games from round one, Mitch, before we get into it though, um, I do want to point out that uh, one of us, one of us on this podcast was a perfect 16 and 0 predicting three, a games. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Spoiler word. It, it wasn't me. Um, I think I was four. I think I was 14 and two. Uh, but yeah, not, not as good as you. Correct. You were 14 and two. I was 16 and oh, uh, we don't need to mention the fact that almost all the favorites won. So yeah, you know, and I, I don't want to, yeah. And I don't want to go back and tell on myself and, and say who I picked. Cause I, I seriously don't remember. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, uh, this was one of the, one of the, the regions where, I think we just talked about that there were no upsets in this uh, in this entire uh, 3A class. Well, let's jump into the 3A bracket. Princeton gets the 47 to 14 win over North Boone, the second straight time that Princeton has defeated North Boone in the playoffs. They beat the Vikings 62 to 16 in the 2019 playoffs in round one. Some of the names we expect to hear: Mitch Tegan Davis, three touchdowns, one rushing, one passing, a hundred yards on the ground. Augie Christensen, 136 yards rushing and a touchdown. Defensively, Drew Harp, six tackles, three sacks. So great effort from him. Mitch, the Vikings drove 96 yards to open the game. The Tigers would shut them down, would keep North Boone out of the end zone after they got down to the 10-yard line. The Tigers would immediately flip the script. They go 90 yards on a scoring drive. Tegan Davis, it's Ian Compton on a 48-yard scoring on a 48-yard touchdown score to cap off that drive. They would take a 19-7 halftime lead. Mitch, let's fast forward. They had that 19-7 lead into the third quarter. They would go up 27 to 17 after Matt Lucas went 77 yards for a touchdown. But Mitch, maybe the play of the night in the fourth quarter, Tigers pull out maybe what you'd call like the Philly special. Yeah finds Danny Shahaki for 13 yards. So on the little like snap, then toss and reverse pass. Yep. So uh, yeah, how about that? Sirens would then put the icing on the cake with a 65 yard pick six on the Vikings next possession. That would put this game out of reach. Yep. So credit to Princeton. They're playing some really good football right now. They look dangerous, Mitch. Yeah, this was, this was a game that I watched on Friday night. Um, I was really intrigued to see how how North Boone would would match up because they had some pretty good ball players um, coming out of the Big Northern Conference. But like you said, uh, they, they beat they beat North Boone. Princeton beat North Boone last year, sixty two sixteen in the first round. This year, it's forty seven fourteen. So the Tigers really have their number. Um, but Princeton looked really good in this game. They they were a lot of fun to watch. Um, obviously, you know uh, Tegan Davis looked looked great. Um, in both facets of his game, Augie Christensen was was a beast. Um, and, and the third name you mentioned, Drew Harp, he was everywhere, everywhere. Um, if he didn't get credited with a tackle, he was right there. Um, so this this was a really fun game. Um, you know, Northland came in with two two really good players. Their, their quarterback, he was a southpaw, Chandler Alderman, and his main target, Will Dutch, kind of kept him in check. Um, they drove down 
they got the ball first and drove um, all the way down, like you said, in, in their first possession. And I kind of thought to myself, okay, here we go. Buckle up. Cause we had, we had kind of thought that this game was going to be more of a shootout. Um, and then it just kind of kept them in check all game. Chandler had 200 yards passing. Um, but that would be the only points uh, and that they scored in the first quarter, but that would be the only points that they gave up or, or that they scored, I should say until the final two minutes of the game. So credit to the Tigers. This was, uh, again, a lot of fun to watch. They, when that offense is clicking, they really go. Uh, and when that defense played the way they did on, uh, on Friday night, um, they're going to set themselves up to, uh, to potentially make a run here. Yeah, so let's look at their next game. They will play Prairie Central. Prairie Central got the win over Chicago King, 55 to nothing. So Princeton will stay at home. Prairie Central was the seventh seed. So, Mitch, what do we know about Prairie Central, the Hawks? Yeah, coming out of coming out of the Illinois Prairie, um, that's the same conference as Tolono Unity. They're the top seed in the South bracket in 3A. Um, this is a team that loves to grind the clock. They are a rushing team. Um, they, they will churn out, uh, you know, just pieces of yards at a time, just, just three, four yards, keeping the ball downfield, keeping it out of the hands of the opponent. Don't pass a whole lot. Um, and when you equip that with, with a good defense, they held Chicago King to seven yards of total offense, um, which included negative uh, 42 yards rushing, which I assume came from uh, either sacks. But um, a couple, couple names for them. Camden Palmore had three scores in round one. Um, they've got a, a, a couple running backs, too. They're kind of running back by committee. Drew Fur had 106 yards. DJ Lewis had three touchdowns in that round one. And a, and a quarterback in Owen Rafferty that kind of makes the engine go. So, um, uh, again, this is a really good Princeton offense. And so I, I don't know what all they've seen defensively. Um, they're obviously putting up good numbers, but I don't know if they've, they've seen a team like Princeton. So if they're clicking the way they were on Friday, uh, I like the Tigers to be able to, to move the ball um, and maybe get, maybe get Prairie Central out of their rhythm a little bit. If they get ahead of them, uh, and, and with Prairie Central being a running team, and maybe they have to come and try and use the pass a little bit more. Maybe that's not something they're used to. Um, so, yeah, I would look for Princeton to maybe catch them off guard or, or get them off of their, their comfort zone. Um, and if they do what they did on Friday, they're, they're certainly going to do that. Yeah, I think um, looking at the way that Princeton played defensively and has played defensively this year, um, they're playing really well on both sides of the football. But if they can really slow down a team, they're going to score. You know, they're going to put up points. Tegan Davis and some of the athletes they have on the offensive side of the ball, you know, they'll get their points. And if they can jump on a team quick, yeah, I really, I really think that Princeton yeah. could do some damage. So, um, you know, yeah, looking, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. When, when you're playing a team like that, if you get in front of them and they have to play from behind, it's really to, to your advantage, because as I said, if, if they have to go to the pass, I, I don't know anything about their quarterback, but it seems like they don't throw the, all that much. So get them out of the rhythm, make them play from behind and maybe have to do things that they're not used to. And it could lead to even more opportunities for Princeton. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that would play right into Princeton's hands, having athletes like Sirens who can make those, you know, those big play interceptions on the defensive side of the yep. ball and, you know, and harp, you know, being there to, you know, to be there to make the plays and get the tackles. Um, yep. So yeah, I think we'll see what, uh, what Princeton can do, but they're now sitting at nine and one, you know, in, in, a, in a second round home game. That game will be Saturday at one o'clock in Princeton. So, okay. Mitch, just one uh, one step down the bracket. 
We're looking at Dupec. They got the win 44 to nothing over Mendota. So Dupec coming off their first NUIC title in program history. Man, the Rivermen, they, you know, they flex their muscle in round one. They waste no time in this one. Rivermen scoring early and often. They utilize that power run game that they've used so well this year. Trenton Taylor rushed for 173 yards, 172 yards and three touchdowns. He had two in the first quarter. Riverman led 28-0 at the half. They eventually go on to a running clock in this one in the fourth quarter. Mitch, Hunter Hoffman, you know, we talk about the ground game, but Hunter Hoffman keeps doing his thing as well. 186 yards. He was four, 11 of 14, so very efficient. Threw for a touchdown pass and ran for two more. So, and, and on the defensive side of the ball, sophomore cornerback Drew Williams, two interceptions. Linebacker Caden Degner led the team with eight tackles. So the Rivermen get their fourth shutout of the year. Mitch, they're playing great football right now, and they move on to the second round. Yeah, um, you know, playing play a schedule where you, you play in the best small school uh, conference in the state, um, you know, you're, you're still playing a majority of your schedule against teams of smaller, smaller class than you. Uh, and Dupac certainly uh, rose to the occasion all year, but you, you always wonder, you know, same thing that we kind of talk about with, with certain Chicago schools. Um, you know, you wonder how good they are, or, or maybe if they're a five and four team, you know, if they're better than that. So uh, it was really good to see Dupac really come out and show um, that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with here in three a. Um, and, you know, we talked about Mendota all year, just a tough way to go. You know, they were, they were five and zero, and then lost five straight. So um you know, uh, we hope to see the Trojans back, back in the playoffs next year. Um, but uh, Dupec, uh, again, like you said, Trent Taylor looked really, really good in this one. Uh, Hunter Hoffman, he's a record chaser now, Greg. He uh, he has surpassed 4,600 yards passing and 60 touchdowns in his career, um, which both sit third in NUIC history. So, um, you know, he's he's about 225 yards away from uh, from uh, second place. Uh, in yardage, he's about three touchdowns away from grabbing second place in, in career touchdown throws. So, you know, when you're talking about that conference and any sort of any sort of history, uh, you know, you got a special player and Hunter often has been that his whole career. Yeah, those those stats, courtesy of Kyle Campmeyer, NUICfootball.com. Yep. He's been all over it. He's been throwing out the numbers and getting the uh, getting the updates. And uh, we got plenty to talk about more from uh, from the NUIC, but Dupec. The conference champion gets the win. Mitch, they move on to play number six seed, IC Catholic, sitting yep. now at nine and one. IC Catholic got the 55 to eight win on Friday night over Monmouth Roseville, who finishes the year at six and four. IC scored three times in the first quarter, never really looked back. They scored seven times in the first half. They led 48 nothing at halftime. Monmouth Roseville did get a touchdown in the fourth quarter, courtesy of a four yard run from junior quarterback, Silas Braun, senior running back, Derek Chandler, who had a great season. He finishes the game with 21 carries for 99 yards. And he also had the two point conversion. So Mitch, a tough way for Monmouth Roseville to go out, but a lot of excitement in Silas Braun coming back next year. He's yep. such a leader and such a good quarterback for this team. But credit to Derek Chandler and credit to all the seniors on Monmouth Roseville's team. They played they played a great season. They had a great year this year. Yeah, and, and got a tough draw. And you know, I was I was pretty grim about that um, on the preview pod. I felt bad about saying that, but 
it was it wasn't without merit because that's just how good I see Catholic is. Um, you know, now that now the debate can be raised and, and you said that you'll want to talk about it, maybe not on this pod, because, you know, uh, we're going to go <laughs> long as it is, um, you know, that, that maybe the ISSA needs to, to look at their qualifying or their qualifiers a little bit differently, maybe put more weight into the classes of teams that you play uh, that determine what class you play in. Because uh, you could you could put IC Catholic in 4A and then they would they would do great. So, you know, there, there's no way to, to beat around the bush. They are the proverbial favorite in the class this year because they're so good. I'm really looking forward to this Dupac matchup, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, again, they are the proverbial favorite here. Um, so it was a tough draw for Monmouth. It was an uphill battle. Um, but yeah, they, they, they played really well this year. Played well in this game. Um, and like you said, with Silas Braun coming back, um, I, I expect we'll be talking about uh, you know the Titans in the playoffs again. So uh, congrats to them on a good year. Um, but now we get to see a really, really intriguing matchup with Dupac and IC Catholic. Yeah, intriguing is absolutely the word here. Um, Saturday, 3.30 in Pecatonica. The Rivermen host again in the second round. They will host IC Catholic. So, Mitch, just right off the bat, what a difference, what a contrast in programs when you talk IC Catholic from Elmhurst, Illinois, and you talk Durand and Pecatonica. I mean – I think right. Duran's enrollment is about 186 or something like that. If I looked at IHSA this afternoon and Pecatonica's is around 250, somewhere in there. And then I know that obviously IC Catholic's enrollment is, you know, small enough to get them into class 3A. But you start looking down the list of the teams that they play and yeah. it's, you know, 800, 900, 500. I mean, the enrollments, they're playing huge teams and I, this debate could go on for three hours on this podcast. And, you know, I'm sure there, you know, there's plenty of people listening that they hate this. They hate that I see Catholic is in the three, a bracket, the same as they hate that Bishop Mack is in the two, a bracket. Yep. Like I said, we could debate it all night. I don't know what the answer is. I, you know, do you make, do you make teams like I see Catholic? Do you weigh in the factor that they, their enrollment of the opponents they played this year? Do you, do you put that as a factor? But then again, they're playing teams that are nearby to them. You know, they're in right. Elmhurst. They're playing high schools that are around them. that are bigger schools. So right. I just, I don't know what the answer is um, when we're in the current conference format and teams get to choose which conference they play in, um, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a two-sided coin too, because you don't want to, you know, um, take away from what these teams do. Um, obviously, because IC Catholic is so good. Uh, same thing, like you said, with, with Bishop Mack in two ways. So we don't want to take away from how good they are, because if you're if you're cursed by geography, there's not much you can do. Um, and it's a credit to those teams for playing, uh, playing teams bigger than them, uh, especially when they when they win. So, yeah, I, I, again, I, I don't know what goes into it currently, but maybe just more needs to be that way. Cause, and I don't want it to make it sound like we're just, you know, uh, complaining that teams that we cover have to play these really good teams. Uh, Cause I don't mean it in that way because there are certainly other examples of this. Um, so, so again, I, I don't know what goes into it, but um, back to the matchup though, I think it's great that Dupec played St. Teresa earlier in the year. Um, despite St. Teresa being a, a smaller school a team, again, that is kind of in the same predicament that they could play in different classes. Um, played them really tough, played them on a whim. Um, 
and obviously them playing, you know, being, being Lena Winslow, they're, they're battle tested. The, the Dupec is not going to back down from, from IC Catholic. Um, they should go into this game with all the conference in the world. I think they'll be more equipped to play them than, than Monmouth Roseville was. Um, but they're going to have to play really, really perfect. Uh, you know, they're really going to have to let Hunter Hoffman go and they're going to have to block for, for Trent, Trent and Taylor. Um, you know, maybe IC Catholics never played in front of a barn before. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I, I am really, really looking forward to this game uh, to see how the Rivermen, Rivermen stack up in this one. Uh, despite the seating, this would be an upset. No doubt about it. Yeah, I, I just, you said it right off the bat. This is an intriguing matchup because of the, you know, the difference of the environments that these programs come from, you know, and, yeah. and it all comes down to you still got to play on the same field. You know, the, right. the, the football, the football style isn't probably that much different. Both of these teams are very high powered offenses and they're going to, you know, they're going to come after you on defense too and play a really hard nosed defense as well. So that's the thing is like the programs look different when you look at their schedules and compare opponents, but man, the football, you, you got to play it on the field and, and, and the football is very comparable, I think. Yeah, we got a lot of chatter on on Twitter about you know uh, people predicting the score of this game, and and you know we don't we don't get into that because you know there's only one way to settle who would win, and that's when you match up on the field. So um, you know, and 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 again, not not to go back to this, but you know, for all the talk on the, on the class for IC, they're still one of the premier programs in the state. They're five time state champs. Um, so, you know, whatever class you want to put them in, whatever class they should be in, they're still a really good team. They're still very well coached. So not to take away from that. Um, but, uh, but again, this is maybe, you know, Dupac being a relatively new program. Um, this is a good stepping stone. This is, this is where they want to be. They want they you know, they want to have that sort of pedigree that, that I see Catholic brings to the table in this game. So um, uh, again, I've said it a couple of times, I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, so uh, Saturday afternoon, I it's at Dupex, so it should be on it, NFHS, I think. So it will be it will be live streamed on NFHS. So being that it's in Pecatonica, so that's yeah. huge. Um, yeah, you know, Mitch, when you look at Dupex program, we talked about it last week in our playoff preview. This is a program that's been building for the last several years, and yep. in nineteen in nineteen they made the playoffs, and now I think the natural progression is the next year you want to win in the playoffs. Right. And on top of that, not just in the playoffs, you want to win the conference. So they get that marquee win over Lena Winslow, who's the, you know, been the top dog in the NUIC. And they still are one of the top dogs in class 1A. You get that one. Now in the playoffs, man, you want to talk about getting a marquee win. This is it. This is your yeah. chance. I mean, it, it's, it's a huge challenge and it's a huge opportunity. And I think right. that there is nothing more exciting than that if you're a Dupec. You have the chance to make state headlines if you play your brand of football and you come out and you show the state how good your program is. I mean, yep. I, that's exciting to me. That's what I love about playoff yep. in high school football. And that's what I love about this matchup. Yeah, and, and go back to Dupec's schedule. They played the top-ranked team in Lena in 1A. They played the top-ranked team in 2A in Decatur. And now they're going to – I don't know what IC is ranked, but I'm just going to say they're they're one of the top-ranked uh, in, in 3A. So they've, they've played the games. They're going to play another one here. Um, so, yeah, really, really looking forward to, uh, to seeing this here. 
Yeah, Mitch, let's go back through, um, you know, some of the names for IC Catholic. You know, who's the who's the players to watch here in this game against Dupec? Yeah, um, I was I was looking. Uh, I, I didn't see a whole lot on the Monmouth Roseville game, unfortunately. I, I didn't. I couldn't find a write up, so I apologize for this. But I did see a couple of names that we mentioned from the preview pod. Their quarterback is Dennis Mandela. He's a sophomore, um, and, and they play another another sophomore named KJ Parker. Um, one of their top receiving threats is a guy named Connor McCoy, who's a, just a matchup nightmare for most teams that he plays. Uh, whether he's going to be uh, a mismatch, you know, against a linebacker or if he's blocking in a running play he's a very big guy um george o'brien will take snaps at quarterback he also plays corner uh a linebacker named Jaden mims who you know looks like a d1 athlete um a wrecking ball on the defensive side so um you know they they are they have talent everywhere on this night's roster um and so like we said dupec's got the weapons dupec is has has every uh, ability to beat a team like this because I see Catholic is beatable. They lost in week nine. Um, but the, the trick is you have to play perfect. So um, they played really well in, in week one against Mendota. Uh, we've seen it all year, how well they, they do. Um, and, and I look, I look forward to them putting that same sort of effort here on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, this should be a great football game in this, in this three, a bracket, there is a lot of good football teams. You know, we'll look through, so that's Dupec against IC Catholic. That'll be a 3.30 on Saturday. The winner of that game would go up against the two teams we just talked about in the game before. That would be Princeton at 9-1 and one and Prairie Central at 8-2. and two. So, you know, here we go down the list. We will have, regardless of who wins, Princeton or Dupec or IC Catholic in that quarterfinal matchup. Mitch, we're going to have a lot to talk about next week. Yeah. Too. I, when, when I was rambling on earlier, I was trying to think of that. And now that you said it, now it, it brought it back. If you play devil's advocate or, or you look ahead, if we get a Princeton and Dupec matchup in the quarterfinals, I might come home. I might <laughs> go back to Illinois to go to that game. I would love to see that just uh, for, for both programs sake. Um, and just what a fun game that would be. So um, I would love, love to see that. Yeah. So that's, that's class three, a, you know, Princeton and Prairie central, at one o'clock in Princeton on Saturday and Dupec versus IC Catholic on Saturday at three 30. It's going to be two fun games and we'll see uh, how the chips fall at the end. Yep. Just a bunch of really good football teams, you know, all the credit in the world to, you know, Princeton to Prairie central who we, we don't know much about, but they're, you know, sit at eight and two. And then obviously we know a lot about Dupec and a lot about IC Catholic really yep. good football teams in class three, a, and we'll see how it all shakes out and we'll see what we're uh, what we're talking about and who we're talking about coming into the quarterfinals. But Mitch, let's head into class 2A and we'll start with Sterling Newman getting the 33 to 24 win over Mercer County. Mitch, yeah. this was the game that I was at. I was walking the sidelines in Alito. A beautiful day. Perfect yep. day for high school football out there. George Pratt Memorial Field is a great place to watch high school football. For anyone who's listening who's never been there. But Mitch, you you get the award for the tweet of the day. It was actually, it was a retweet, I believe, from Sam Ramirez. It, it was his picture. Yeah, it was okay. His picture. That's right. He was at the game. He tweeted a picture, and it's just a look down the line of scrimmage, and it's a muddy football field, and the jerseys are getting all dirty. But you see yep. the band, you see the band in full uniform up in the bleachers, and it just you said it best. Like 
Surrey, show me the definition of Illinois high school playoff football. And that's yep. it. I mean, yeah, the crowd. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Yeah. Not only two of the, the historically great programs, but you, you throw in the mud, you throw in the sunshine, you throw in the colors of the uniforms, just, it was football. It was playoff football. Um, it, it was too good not to, not to share. So uh, credit to, to Sam on that picture. Um, and he liked it. So I don't think he thought we were stealing it. Yeah, um, no. So um, yeah, happy to, to give credit where it's due, but that that's such a cool picture. I loved it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, it was great, great atmosphere, great football games. The story of this one was Newman's defense. Mercer County returned the opening kick on a little uh, reverse on a little fake reverse. They get down to the Newman 10. They would take it in to get an eight, nothing lead. But from there, the comments really limited what the Eagles did the rest of that first half. They end up building a 33 to eight lead into the second half. Mm. Man, Mercer County did not quit. They had, they had a scoop and score on a Newman fumble. They had a three and out. They came back down and scored to make it 33, 24. They were driving back downfield again. But Ethan Van Landewit came up with the big interception. That really sealed the deal for the Comets. They come away with the 33-24 win. Those running backs, Marcus Williams and Van Landewit, led the way for the Comets. Newman gained 195 of their 208 yards on the ground. So this is a very typical Newman type of win. Yep. You know, grounded out on the ground and then get a, you know get that great defense and come away with the win. Yeah, um, I, I was kind of following you, and I think Terry Duckett from Dispatch uh, Argus was there too. So two two of the premier media members of the of the Quad City scene. Um, <laughs> and actually, I, I should give a shout out to uh, Bobby Metcalf was also there, a Quad okay. City Times uh, editor, also Just, now photographer. He was there walking the sidelines, taking photos. So it was good. To, I haven't seen him in a long star, time. Star power everywhere in Alito. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and and again, we, we talked about just uh, we were excited about this in the beginning because two teams who, who were two of the hottest teams coming into it, um, having won, I don't want to say it wrong now. Newman had won three in a row. Mercer County had won three in a row, two, I think. Mercer County um, might have won like five in a row, I think. Okay. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so two of the, the hotter teams, two of the most, uh, you know, historically great programs. Um, and, and just what playoff football is all about. So it, it, it had everything uh, with, with the picture that we talked about, the two programs, a great game. Um, but Newman, as we've talked about, when they've got their ground game going, um, you know, they, they built up that lead, like you said, and then uh, Mercer County came back. But that's what Newman's going to want to do um, and, and what, they, what, they always, what they always do uh, as, as they head into round two uh, against the top seed um, in, the, in the class. Yeah, we'll talk about that in one second. But Mitch, uh, I did have an intern with me walking the sidelines on Saturday. Yeah, uh, it was it was my son, my son, Casey. Uh, he got paid in ice cream and uh, hamburger. And let's see what else. I don't know if there's candy mixed in there, too. Plenty of candy on Halloween weekend. But uh, no, uh, no, no pork chops in Alito. I had a pork. I had a pork. Chop. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when the game was 33 to eight uh, in the second half, you know, we're walking the sideline. I said, here, I said, Casey, here's, here's a camera. Here's how you set on your shoulder and, and go for yeah. it. Little did I know that Mercer County was going to get a scoop and score <laughs> touchdown and his highlight and his highlights made the air. So, oh, all right. Casey, so Casey's already got, uh, 
you know, highlights credited to his name on a WQAD. So, uh, well, you know, you know uh, coming off a great baseball season, uh, just jumped right into the, just coming right into football. Yeah. Good for Casey. Um, that's, uh, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Cool for you too. Cool. It, cool for you too. It was fun. It was a ton of fun. He was loving it. So, uh, anyway, Sterling Newman gets the win. They go now on to play the top seed in the two a North bracket, Wilmington, a 10 and 0 football team. Yep. Mitch, what do we know about the Wilmington Wildcats? Yeah, uh, 25 straight playoffs for the Wildcats here for Wilmington. Uh, coming out of the Illinois Central 8, which we've we've seen a lot of teams do really well coming out of there. So it's, it's a, a very, very good conference. Uh, they're, what, seven years removed, 2014. They were the three state champions. So no, uh, you know, no stranger to success here. Um let me give you this stat, Greg. They, they played Chicago Julian. And, and again, I, I don't know too much about Chicago Julian. They scored five touchdowns on their first nine plays. Wilmington did against Julian in round one. Um, so that's just uh, <laughs> as efficient as it can get. Uh, held Julian to negative 78 yards in the first half. So uh, again, I don't know what Julian brought. They're a playoff team, so I'm not going to take anything away from them. Um, and Wilmington does this a lot. Um, defensively, they, they've never allowed more than 20 points in any, any game that they played. 20 was the most, and I think they most of the other games were like 14. So um, offensively, they've got, they've got a quarterback named Ryder Meats and a running back named Jacob Frittle, um, both, both names that, that played well in that round one game. So uh, for Newman, you know, um, they're going to have to do what they do. They're going to have to ground, you know, play the ground game they're going to have to grind that clock keep the tempo keep the clock in their favor um because this is a team that's going to want to be doing the same thing against you and against a defense that doesn't uh, allow much against them so um play that hard-nosed you know comet football that has won you so many games in, in the in the past um and again uh you know this is the Wilmington's 28th appearance it's Newman's 31st so two uh traditional powers going at it here so this is what it's all about well, and we, you know, should mention that Newman is still the defending state champions. They were the 2A champs yep. in 2019 yep. uh, for Coach Brandon Kretzmer. So, you know, for this Newman team, I think this is a game of any game that they play to do, like you said, what Newman does and really establish that ground game and really, you know, you don't got to put up quick points, but if you can control the clock and keep long, sustained drives, keep the ball out of Wilmington's hands. But then when Wilmington does have the ball, man, if you can capitalize on one or two turnovers, you know, playing well defensively, that's a key to success for this Newman team. But it, I mean, it won't be easy. This, this Wilmington team is very good and they yeah. have the, you know, they have the resume to prove it at 10 and 0. But I think that there's ways, man, that th this Newman team, they know how to win in this time of year. And that's, that's what it comes down to. You can really control the clock and take the ball out of Wilmington's hands and take the control away from them. Yeah. So this is the Newman now on a four game win streak. So really playing well. Um, uh, another, another example of a battle test in week one that could set you up for success in, in, uh, in week two. So um, looking forward to this, Greg, this is Saturday. When, where are we playing? Saturday in Sterling at three o'clock. So beautiful okay. Roscoe Eads stadium. Yep. Uh, Newman will be there on the turf. You know, I, getting back to this running game and really establishing it. I like even more when you talk about Newman kind of controlling the football controlling the clock, they got two big bodied running backs in yeah. Williams and Van Landuit. 
that can yep. really do the job. And the longer the game goes, if those backs are fresh, if they're not, if one of them isn't getting worn out, but they're both kind of splitting the time, splitting the carries, and then occasionally a couple other guys come in to carry the ball. I think that's a key too, is keep those guys fresh and really you can grind a team down. It'll, like I said, it'll be tough against the Wilmington defense, but that's where I think the key lies for Newman. Yeah. Kind of like we talked about in, um, oh, what game were we talking about? The, I think the, the Princeton game, you know, get out in front, make, make Wilmington play from behind in this one, start yep. as fast as you did against, uh, against Mercer County. Um, and really just set the tone early. You're playing at home. Uh, that'll, that'll be a, a tremendous atmosphere the, the Newman really likes to, you know, they, they can really bring it during playoff time because they've had a lot of experience doing it. So um, that'll be a lot of fun. Well, let's move down, Mitch. We'll stay in class 2A. We'll talk uh, from round one result. Bishop McNamara goes on the road, gets the 42 to 14 win over Knoxville. So Knoxville finds their season coming to a close at eight and two. Blue Bullets found themselves up against, you know, maybe the hottest team in the state right now in Bishop Mack. This Irish defense able to keep the powerful Knoxville ground game really in check. They forced three Knoxville turnovers. Running back Tony Phillips, who we talked about in the playoff preview for Bishop Mack, goes for 108 yards. Jaden Wright goes for 47 yards. Each ran for a pair of touchdowns. Also, Brady Bertrand threw for two more touchdowns to Colton Provost. He had 143 yards receiving. So just a bunch of offense for Bishop Mack and kind of what we talked about against, uh, you know, in the IC Catholic Monmouth Roseville game, just a tough draw for new or for Knoxville against a really hot Bishop Mack team that comes in with a big time resume. You know, I know it, we talk about how these teams are coming from these bigger conferences, but that being said, they come from these conferences and they've earned it. They've had to get wins over yeah. some really big programs. I mean, big enrollment programs. So they've earned it. And Bishop Mack, they look the part. They look like a really tough 2A out. Yeah, and we, t- we talked about this team too. The, the Their coach, I, I can't remember his first name. Last name was Zanani. Uh, just a legendary coach. He's been there since the 70s. Um, this is another team that's won five state titles. So um, you mentioned Tony, Tony Phillips. Um, what we didn't mention on the preview pod, because I don't think I had seen it at the time. He's the defending champion at, and I actually say state track in the hundred and 200. And that was in the spring when he was a freshman. Wow. Um, so that, that's, that's speed that we don't see a lot in the area. So, um, yeah. And, and like you said, their top target Colton provost, um, they, they just have talent everywhere on both sides of the ball. So I, I didn't want to be too negative about this when we were talking about the preview program. I think this is a team that, that you and I kind of liked in the, in the bracket um, just because they are, like you said, one of the hottest teams, they played a lot of good, good programs and they just have the talent to, to really make a deep run. So, um, you know, for Knoxville, they, they didn't quit. They, they, they stayed in this game for a while. Their defense did hold up despite giving up a few scores. Um, you know, you know, Briar Fleischer and, and Peyton Hankins each scored for the blue bullets. Um, but their, their first season, you know, as co-champions of the Lincoln trail conference comes to an end at eight and two. Uh, but but a great year for them. It was a lot of fun to to have them come into uh, to our coverage area, and uh, we'll we'll see them again, no question. Yeah, you know, credit to those Knoxville seniors like Hankins and Kellen McClay and Fleischer at quarterback, and and so many more names. Uh, Garrett Larson is another name that we've called throughout the year. Um, those seniors that you know they really did the work for this Knoxville Blue Bullet program. 
and they were the next ones in line to kind of keep that, you know, momentum rolling for a program in Knoxville that's really been building up and building up, you know, so credit to them. This is a tough way to go out, but yep. the program is in a great spot. They're, they're in a really good spot. We'll see them again. They'll be a force in the Lincoln Trail Conference. I have no doubt about that. But Mitch, getting back to Bishop Mack, yeah, you said it. Richard Zanani retiring at season end, started in 1975, Oof. has over 350 wins, five of those wins being state championships. So yeah. Bishop Mack certainly has the coaching resume, and you look at that X factor when you talk about this playoff run, none yep. of these players for Bishop Mack want this run to end before they're winning in DeKalb. You know, like yeah. this team is fired up to win for that coach. you got to know it. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about this next game in a minute. They're going to play Erie Prophetstown. Now that's a game I'm, I'm looking forward to as well. Um, just like we, we're looking forward to Dupec and IC. Uh, this probably ranks number two for me in terms of, of seeing two really, really good programs going up against each other. Yeah, and a very similar thing in, you know, you get Erie and Prophetstown going up against a school from Kankakee. Kankakee, no, it, yeah. It's, so it's just a very, it seems very bizarre, but here we are in the Class 2A bracket. So Mitch, yep. let's talk about the Erie Prophetstown Panthers. They get the 56-20 to 20 win <laughs> over Clifton Central a good Clifton Central program that yeah, we see no in doubt. the playoffs year in and year out. So this is a nice win for the Panthers. You know, the Panther defense was suffocating in the first half of this game. They had three first quarter sacks. They, they would need that to overcome some fumbles and some issues they had on offense. Yep. Early in this one, uh, you know, Kobe Franks scores on a 35-yard touchdown run. That would put him up. He would score again to make it 14 to nothing. Panthers would lead 21 to six at the half. They would be leading 28 to 20 in the fourth quarter. So this game would get tight. Yeah. Franks would again, extend the Erie Prophetstown lead. It's what he's done all year, Mitch. When they need a play, he steps up and makes the play. He gets a <clears throat> yard run to make it 35 to 20. That was his fifth of the afternoon. The next possession, the Panther defense would come up with the interception and that would set up a 17-yard touchdown run from Connor Sibley. So four touchdown running for Franks and another one, two more passing, 196 yards on the ground. Mitch, yeah. Kobe Franks, what more can we say about him? He is just yeah. that leader, that go-to player for the Panthers. Yeah, um, just certainly continues to prove. I, I look forward to seeing what his year-end numbers look like. Um, but one of the best dual threat quarterbacks we've seen to my memory in a long time. So yep. uh, re really exciting there for, for those two communities uh, <laughs> in his six touchdowns. But uh, let me give you two plays in this one, Greg. All right. Uh, because, because you got to win. You got to be able to win in multiple ways uh, in, in the playoffs. Um, early. This was in. This was in the second quarter. Um, they were up four to uh, EP was up 14, nothing at the time. Kobe Franks found Cody Barnes jr. Open downfield. Uh, and Barnes caught it, takes a couple of steps and loses the ball. Okay. The ball is rolling around there in the field. There is nobody around him. He's able to pick up the ball and still run into the end zone. So you don't, <laughs> you don't see that a whole lot, but that, uh, that quick recovery put them up 21, nothing. Uh, and then to cap this one off, Clifton was driving. They were, they were at the goal line. 
And just to put an exclamation mark to a really good game and, and a completely dominant fourth quarter for the Panthers, uh, Jace Grunder picks off the pass, returns at 99 yards, three seconds left on the clock, puts the Panthers over 50, which I think is like the sixth time they've done that this year. Um, it seals their eighth straight victory, and uh, they're going to the second round. Yeah, eight straight wins for Erie Prophetstown. I mean, their, their momentum just keeps building and building. This program really looks good right now. This football team is, is really looking good. They got a tough matchup, a tough yep. road matchup. Let's dive into round number two now. The number five seed Panthers go on the road to number 13, Bishop Mack, who we just talked about Saturday at two o'clock. So, you know, this Erie Prophetstown defense is going to be tested. They'll need to make some stops. They'll need some plays like we saw with, like you mentioned with Jace Grunder there. But I think on the offensive side of the ball, you have to limit turnovers. You can't give, you can't give Bishop Mack short fields. You can't give them any more opportunities than what they're going to create on their own. But man, it is an exciting opportunity to put Colby Franks out there and just put him on display and, and, and the lineman and the offensive line as well, you know, right. really, right. really get this offense in a spot to really shine with Connor Sibley, Mason Misfeld go down the line. Yeah. Like you said, limit your turnovers. You know, they were able to overcome that in this game. Um, but with what we've seen from Bishop Mack, the, you don't want to give them an inch um, with, with the speed that they have and the, the players that they have. Um, uh, again, we've said it a lot of times, this is a legendary program with a legendary coach and a five-time state champion. So kind of like what we're talking about with Dupec, uh, going up against IC, here's your chance. Here's your stepping stone. Here's a, here's a team you're going against that, uh, you know, from a resume standpoint might look, look better than you historically. So is this the team that you want to, is this a program that you want to kind of get to the same level? Here's your chance to prove it. So, um, but the way that Erie's playing, uh, I really, really am looking forward to this game because um, two really good dynamic offenses going up against each other and uh, could could be a shootout. We'll see. Yeah, I think the really big the message that I would emphasize, you know, if I'm if I'm that coaching staff for Erie Prophetstown is forget the name on the jersey, forget where we're going to play. Let's just step on the football field and play them, you know, toe-to-toe. Let's go toe-to-toe with them. It doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter how many state championships they won before these kids were even born. Let's just get the job done. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's again, it's like we talked about with Dupec going up against IC Catholic. It's that mentality of it's a challenge, but it's a huge opportunity for, for your team to really be a statewide headline if you come away with the win. It's exciting. You know, it, it could be really exciting there for Erie Prophetstown going on the road to Bishop Mack Saturday at two o'clock. Mitch, before we wrap up class 2A, one more game to talk about. Undefeated Tri-Valley gets the 47 to 42 win over Rock Ridge. Mitch, this was a Rock Ridge team that we knew could be dangerous. And man, they battled in this one back and forth, but they just come up a little bit short to an undefeated, very talented Tri-Valley team. Yeah, uh, like you said, and we had said on the preview pod, you know, playing Rock Ridge at their best is a hard matchup for anybody. Um, and they proved it. This this game was wild. Uh, you know, the, the Rockets led 14-0 after the first quarter. And then from there, it, it literally felt like it went score for score until both teams got into the 40s. 
Uh, and then uh, all the way to the fourth quarter with, you know, under eight minutes to play is when it kind of all got sorted out. Well, let's, yeah, let's go through some of the scoring in the end. Braden Dean hit Peyton Locke. There's a connection we've said how many times in the, in the past uh, year, going back yep. to the spring, 46-yard touchdown pass. The Rockets take a 42-41 lead with seven minutes and 34 seconds left in the game. The Rockets force a Viking fumble, recovered by George Starks. The Rockets had the ball with 3.30 left, but the Vikings would force the punt, and they would get the ball back with two minutes left to play. Tri-Valley goes downfield. They score from five yards out. They take a 47-42 lead with just over a minute left. Rockridge would make a little bit of a run getting into Tri-Valley territory. They could not convert on a fourth down, so that would seal the game. But, man, just huge credit for the Rockets because they they fought so hard in this one. And it's a team that we knew had a lot of talent, and they were, you know, the record didn't necessarily indicate how dangerous they could be. Yeah, uh, just to uh, a fun game from a fan standpoint, you know, um, I, I, like we talked about it, it literally just went back and forth for four quarters. Um Vikings were paced by their quarterback, Andrew Petrelli. He had 513 yards and six touchdowns. So, man, yeah. Um, when you have stats like that, but on the Rock Ridge side, you had Peyton Locke had four touchdowns, three on the ground, one receiving. Brayden Deem had three through the, through the air. Two of them went to Nate Henry. So, just two really good offenses. Um, what we thought would, would, could be, I should say. Um, and it came to fruition. So, unfortunate that, that Rock Ridge had to be on the losing end of this one. Um, but, but what a way to go out. It's such a credit to to those players, that staff, um, you know, they, they were, they looked really good in the spring. Um, couple of, of really just, you know, mishaps and and misfortune in the fall on their couple of losses. Um, but they battled back to win that week nine matchup against Oregon to get into the playoffs. And if you're going to go out, you're going to go out swinging. And and they certainly did that. So they have a lot to, uh, to hold their heads up by and, uh, and they'll be back. I, I don't have the roster in front of me. I know Peyton Lott comes back. Um, I know there's another Dean brother. I, I'm not sure if, if, uh, who's the older or if either one of them are coming back, but, uh, yep. th- this team will reload. Um, and, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Rock Ridge brings back next year. Well, you know, I never worry about Rock Ridge and kind of that bringing, you know, that reloading because a couple of years ago going into the spring, we kind of wondered like, you know, they weren't, they had a down year maybe by their standards in 19. And we thought, well, what do they got coming back? And sure enough, we found out, you know, these names real quick. So yeah, there's other, there's other names that will be in the pipeline and, and there'll be a program to, to do battle with in the three rivers for sure. Mitch, before we wrap up two a, we should mention the three rivers conference really held their own this weekend played really well. You start going down the list. We had Kiwani get a win in four a Princeton gets a win in three a, um, where else are we looking here? Um, Erie, Erie, Erie um, Provincetown gets a win in two A, and we're forgetting we're forgetting some people. Rockridge came up just short, but then you also had Sterling Newman come away with the win. Yep, and then we're going to get into in Class One A, St. Bede got a win. Yeah, so yeah, boys, the five teams. Then we had five teams in the track and four in the NUIC. So yeah, we're. Uh, uh, and, 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 it, and I, I tweeted, I tweeted that out uh, about the track specifically, because we kind of expected that from the NUIC to have so many teams uh, still hanging. Yeah. And not to say that we didn't with the track, but it, it's, it's good to see, you know, um, 
historically a great conference with the championships from, from Bureau Valley, with Newman, with Morrison, with Fulton back in the day. Um, so good, good to see them have a strong presence in the playoffs like they, they always have. Um, and to see our teams playing well. Good to see. Yep. Well, let's jump into Class 1A now. We'll talk about St. B in a minute. They get the big first-round win. But we'll start with the top seed. The number one seed in Class 1A North was A-Town. They yep. get the 16-8 to win over the 16-seed Anawan Weathersfield Titans. Credit to the Titans, Mitch, because we've talked all year about it's a good program. It's a program with a lot of talented athletes in, the, in that program and on that team. And yep. they did battle in this one, and they really fought hard. Yeah, this, this was a slugfest. Um, and, and like you said, an Anawan team that had to replace Colton Quagliano um, and, and, a, and a handful of others, um, the coaching staff changes. So good, good to have them, uh, you know, back. Um, a, a tough year, you know, with, with four losses, five with this one in the playoffs. But good to see them back in the fold. Um, and I, I expect them to, to be back uh, even more next year. But this was a game that they showed up uh, against the top seed at A-Town. Yeah, and on the flip side, A-Town showed up and played really impressive football as well to really get, get the play, make the plays they needed to make and get out of there with a win. It doesn't have to be pretty, but if you get yep. the win, survive in advance, Mitch. That's, all, that's the name of the game. A-Town sophomore Kellen Hook. Uh, preserved a scoreless first half. He made an interception at the goal line on yeah. the final play of the first half to deny Anawan Weathersfield a touchdown. The Tornadoes would break the tie in the third quarter. Drake DeJanis found the end zone from four yards out. A two-point conversion put them up eight to nothing. Titans would respond. Darius Dickerson would tie the game 8-8. So we're scoreless at the end of three. A-Town would score... God. Tied at the end of three. Oh, I'm sorry. Tied. So so we're yep. tied 8-8 eight, eight at the end of three. Yep. A-Town scores the tie-breaking touchdown. Four, little over four minutes left in the game. 24-yard touchdown pass from Easton Schischler to Clay Slagle. So Schischler's a quarterback that I was really impressed with. You know, a little bit of that Colby Franks kind of style in him. He can throw yeah. when he needs to. Obviously getting the 24-yard <laughs> touchdown pass in clutch time. But man, he can run too. He he's got he's got some wheels. He can make he can make moves on the ground. Yeah, and this was this was a beautiful throw. I saw a video of this. It was on the on the left side, just kind of a floater, um, you know, to, to Slagle in, in the back of the end zone. So this was a really nice play um, for for the Tornadoes. No doubt about it. A Town's defense would step up to preserve the win. Mitch Titans faced a fourth down and five from the A Town twenty four yard line with just forty one seconds left in the game. Quarterback Dylan Ori rolls out on the bootleg. Cole Troxell is about to grab the catch, but Tornado's senior defensive back, Parker Darst, he steps right in there, makes the hit, knocking the ball out. That secures A-Town's first postseason win since 2014. So just a huge momentum builder for this A-Town Tornadoes program. They already got the, you know, the big resume builder in the win over Knoxville. They get this win to move into the second round. Good win for the Tornadoes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like we talked about how, how Easton Schistler has been all year. He, he was great in this one, 9-12 to 12 for 130 yards. Um, and led the team with 29 yards. So you're not talking about a whole lot of offense in this game. And that's a credit to both defenses. Um, you know, for the Titans, Dylan Ori was 9-14 to 14 for 111 yards with that, with that pick um, right before halftime. And he was the leader with, with 96 rushing yards. So both quarterbacks really putting the team on their back here. 
Um, Cole Truxell led the team with 65 rushing yards. Darius Dickerson, a, a name that we called all year, um, had that touchdown and two-point conversion in the third. Other than that, kind of got held in check. So credit to the Tornadoes, held him to 49 yards on 15 carries. So, um, yeah, a good win for A-Town here to, to preserve that uh, that number one seed and to move on to the, the second round here. Yeah, so let's talk about that second round matchup. Will be against Iroquois West. Iroquois West gets the 35 26 win over United. So that ends United's season at six and four. The first playoff appearance for the Red Storm since 2015. They were riding a five game winning streak. This one went back and forth against Iroquois West, and the Red Storm finished just a little bit short at 35 26. But a great effort from the Red Storm. I think there's a lot of excitement about this program and what David Milroy is doing. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, a five a five game winning streak. And they got they got Aiden Parkins back. So, uh, you know, and this one they went to their aerial attack. They 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 were leading six nothing in the first quarter. It was an eighty nine yard play from uh, Parkins to Abel Wilson. Um, and then uh, if you go further into the into the game and into the half, they they tied the game at fourteen. They were trailing. They tied the game at fourteen with just under five left in the second quarter. There's Parkins again this time on a sixty one yard pass to Cormac Flynn. Um, who also caught the two-point conversion. So it was 14-14 at half. Yeah, and then you keep going down the way. Um, you know, the Raiders continue to play tough. They notch a touchdown, but the Red Storm would respond again. Flynn trims the lead to 28-26 to when he gets a three-yard touchdown near the end of the third quarter. So this game stayed close, but Iroquois' Tristan Schacht, I don't know if I said that name right, but close, right, Mitch? Yeah, close enough. carried the ball 32 times for 311 yards and three touchdowns. He had a 56 yard play on the first play of the fourth quarter that really sealed the win, but man, impressive outing from Abel Wilson for United red storm wide receiver had six pet passes catches for 188 yards and two touchdowns. Aiden Parkins, a kid we've been really impressed with 17, 10 of 17 for 277 and three touchdowns. So great effort. From United, they'd fall a little bit short. Great ball game from Iroquois West. Mitch, let's move into round two. Iroquois West will travel to Abingdon to the top-seeded A-Town Tornadoes. There'll be Saturday at 1 o'clock in Abingdon. Mitch, what else do we know? Let's Give me a little bit of the names for uh, Iroquois West, the Raiders. Yeah, they're they're a big group. Um, they they kind of run at will. They... Uh... They, they are state champions in their history. They won back in 2013, but they've got a big, big offensive line kind of kind of anchored by a guy, Cannon Leonard. He's 6'9", 265, um, getting a lot of interest from D1 programs. Uh, like you said, Tristan Schacht has over 1,500 yards in his games this season, averages just under 200 per game. So um, this is a really, really good running offense, um, really, really big team. So – you know, uh, obviously beating United, the team that beat A-Town in week nine. Um, you know, what can they learn from both of those films? Because um, Iroquois West is, is, is a team that's really going to have a size advantage in this one, I think. So A-Town's defense is going to have to play the same way that they did uh, in round one. That's what I was just going to say, is that this A-Town defense stepped up and got the win over Anawan Weathersfield. They did the job. They held Anawan Weathersfield in check. <laughs> I think Iroquois West presents that much more of a challenge um, for them. Their offense may be a little more powerful than eight than Anawan Weathersfield, 
So can A-Town continue to answer that call? And on the, on the offensive side of the ball, I want, I want Easton Schischler to be able to lead that A-Town tornado offense. If they can consistently continue to drive the ball downfield, if they can, you know, pass the ball and, and run the ball, if they could be a balanced offense, I think that could go a long way as well, but yeah, there'll be a size differential here. It seems like Iroquois West might be the bigger team. So it'll be a challenge for A-Town, even though they're the top seed. I think this Iroquois West team, they have the resume and they have the, uh, you know, they have the skill to play a really good football game. Yeah, uh, the, you know, they're, they're going to be wanting to pull off that upset the way that they played against a really good United team. So uh, A-Town's going to have to be ready. Um, they, they do have this game at home uh, and they'll try and get their 10th win of the year here. So, Mitch, let's move on to their potential opponent. St. Bede gets the win over Hope Academy 30-19. to So, St. Bede is now sitting at 8-2 and on the regular season, or on the season, I should say. That's the first playoff win in five years for the Bruins. St. Bede is now 13-3 and in the calendar year going back to the spring. So, Mitch, this is a team we liked in the spring. They looked really good with yep. athletes like Tyreek Fortney. And they continue to get the job done. It didn't start the way the Bruins would have liked. Hope returned the opening kickoff 80 yards for a touchdown to take a 6-0 lead. But from there, oh, the, the Bruins, they follow that up by catching the Bruins off guard with an onside kick recovery. So yep. it just immediately, you're kind of like smacked in the mouth. You're losing. And then the onside kick. So they grab all the momentum. Yep. But the Bruins take a deep breath. They regroup. They would stop Hope on a fourth down. The Bruins then get 10-play, 60-yard drive, a three-yard touchdown from John Brady. Defensive chess match ensued, you know, on a wet, kind of cold Friday night in St. Bede. They get a 20-yard field goal, 27-yard field goal from Steven Shaver with 19 seconds left to take a 9-6 halftime lead. Steven Shaver had a game-winning field goal earlier in the year against Erie Prophetstown. So back then we said, man, if you have a kicker, if you have a reliable kicker, that's a great asset to have in the playoffs. And here it is paying dividends. They take the nine, six lead at halftime. Hope fumbled on their opening possession of the second half. Brady to Tyreek Fortney, 76 yard touchdown to open it up to make a 16 to six lead. Mitch, that's that dynamic. that, That duo we've talked about Brady and Fortney man, they could do some real damage in class 1A. Yeah, we talk a lot about quarterbacks being dual threat, but Tyreek Fortney is, is a dual threat as, as a running back. He can line up as a receiver too. So I, I don't know on this play if it was more of a screen or, or uh, just uh, opening the flat or something, but it very well could have been just a streak down the sideline because he's that, he's that diverse and dynamic. So uh, yeah, they, they've got the star power here um, in a very, very loaded uh, 1A bracket. Um, but in kind of... if if you want to think of it, the top half of the North bracket, St. Bede's got a favorable draw here that they keep playing the way that they, uh, they did here. Yeah, I really think so too. Later in the game, Brady had a quarterback keeper that goes for 48 yards, his third touchdown of the game. So we talk about Fortney being able to have that breakaway speed. There you go. Brady quarterback keeper goes 48 yards. Yeah. He, he finished the game with over 300 all purpose yards, uh, and three scores. So he's, uh, uh, a, a name and same with, with Luke story, who also scored in this game. So, um, you know, he had 84 yards and a touchdown uh, himself. So 
yeah, the, the offense was clicking. And again, like you said, it was a wet and cold night. And when you can, you can do that and put up 30 on a, on conditions like that, you know, uh, the team is dangerous when it's going to be, uh, hopefully dry conditions, uh, this coming weekend, um, as they get ready for a, for a team out of, out of a Colfax who, uh, came away with the upset in round one. Yeah. So you let into it there. Colfax Ridgeview gets the win over Rushville industry. Rushville industry came in as the four seed in the bracket. They were seven and two on the year. They lose 34 to six. So Colfax Ridgeview getting the upset there. They move on. They'll now host in the second round Saturday at one o'clock in Colfax. It's Colfax Ridgeview going up against St. Bede. Mitch, what do we know about the Ridgeview Mustangs? Yeah, out of the heart of Illinois, small conference. Um, This is their 14th appearance, but first time in in about nine years. Um, And this this is a a newly formed co-op, I think, out at Ridgeview and Lexington. Um, So I don't know if that last appearance was the Lexington program. Uh, That was a historically pretty good good program. But either way, uh, they do have a Hall of Fame coach, uh, Hal, Hal Chiodo. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, he was, he was legendary coach in the Chicago area coach for a couple of different teams. This is his first season with this program, uh, winners of their conference that heart of Illinois with a five and four record. They were, they were four and in the conference. Um, and they, they, they alternated wins and losses for the first eight weeks, lost, win, lost, win, lost, win, lost, win, and had to win in that week nine to secure the spot. So, um, and again, we've talked about it before when you see teams coming out of the area with a five and four record. Uh, even them where they <laughs> went back and forth, back and forth, and then they blow out their, their round one opponent. So, um, you know, they, they've got a, they've got a junior running back named Caden Farrell, who is just over 1500 yards on the ground. So a really good, really good offense here. Um, and this will be, this will be a fun matchup here with, with St. Beat, I think. Yeah. Mitch, you're blowing my mind right now. Lexington doesn't have their own program anymore. If I'm reading that correctly, they do not. Wow, I just looked it up. Yeah, I'm looking through the list of the L's for the 2021-22 football season, and I'm not seeing Lexington on here. Man, they exactly. were a that was a yeah. really good football program. That was Alex Tanny, right? He was, I was just gonna say Lexington. that the Tanny, the Tanny brothers went to Lexington and set all sorts of records. I was I was just about to say that. So yeah, I don't again, it could be uh you know what we see a lot um with numbers, you know. Um obviously when we get into those those areas in Illinois sometimes that uh, either you're going to play eight man or you're going to co-op. So um, I, I believe this is newly formed. I don't know if this is their first year, but uh, yeah, Lexington historically, like, like we said, is, is very, very good. It wow. was very, very good. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That, that, that really caught me off guard. We're, we're just going on the fly here. We're just talking about it live because yep. I did not see that. I did not know you had that. Uh... Anyway. Yeah. This yep. should be a great matchup. I, I've liked what I've seen in, St. Bede all year. And there's a few yeah. games where I thought maybe they'd win bigger. I thought that the, you know, that they'd be more impressive, but they've had the wins. Their resume speaks for itself. Their, their losses were very quality losses against Kiwani and Princeton. Like we referenced last yep. week in the overall preview. So I, I think this is a dangerous St. Bede team coming out of what is proven to be a pretty good three rivers conference. The resume yep. holds up now that three rivers has been winning some games. So I'm interested to see what St. Bede can do in this matchup, because like you said, I think that when you look at that one, a bracket, you know, there's potential here there's potential for St. Bede to make a run. 
because I, you know, I, I think that it's the three rivers, you know, the resume, I think really helps St. Beat in this case. Yeah. Um, again, not knowing a whole lot about Ridgeview. I just like, I like St. Beat that much. Uh, and I would, I would like them in a matchup against a town or Iroquois West too. So, um, but not to get ahead of ourselves, they're certainly not going to do that. Uh, so the Bruins got to take care of business first, but yeah, I, I think things could go the right way. Um, and, and boy, wouldn't you love to see a, a St. Bede versus a, a Fulton or a Forreston or a Lena? Um, cause the, the possibilities of having quote unquote, our, our teams or teams that we cover, uh, getting into the semifinals is, is getting a little bit clearer, uh, as we get closer. Well, yeah, let's, uh, we'll wrap up here that those games we just talked about are the top half of the Northern bracket. So number one seed Abingdon Avon ho- or will host Iroquois West, the number eight seed. That'll be in Abingdon at one o'clock on Saturday. Then looking down the way, the game we just talked about Colfax Ridgeview with Lexington in the co-op Mitch. Thank you for that great information. Yep. They will go, they will host St. Bede. That will be at Colfax Ridgeview at one o'clock on Saturday. But Mitch, let's move down to the bottom half of the northern bracket. Ottawa Marquette and Fulton. And then the big one, Forreston and Lita Winslow. So we got a lot to talk about here in this bottom section. But let's start with breaking down the round one, the games from round one. Marquette, Ottawa Marquette gets the 32-7 win over Princeville. Marquette moves to 9-1 on the season. And Princeville did actually do a pretty good job of keeping Marquette's offense in check. They held Marquette to 227 yards rushing, which is their third lowest output of the year. So this Princeville team we talked a lot about, they didn't score a lot, but they, they didn't give up very much either. So this was a game where their defense was there for the most part, but in the end, Marquette was able to get the job done they did have Alex Graham connecting. Marquette runs the ball a lot, and it was a very right. running back by committee. Journey Reed, 75 yards. Logan Nelson, 62 yards. Tom Durden, 36 yards, but he also had receiving touchdown of 84 yards. And then Vinny Battistelli, who's back from injury, had 48 yards as well. So they really spread out the handoffs, at least in this game. I think they've done it a lot throughout the year. But Alex Graham, the quarterback, was able to find a big pass to Tom Durden, who I just referenced, and that was really one of the differences in the game. He had two touchdown passes on the day. Crusaders hold Princeville to 135 yards of total offense, all rushing. They had three takeaways and a turnover on downs. So a really good effort from the Marquette Crusaders overall. I think that, um, you know, they're a team, like I've said, they're they're built for the postseason and a lot in the same ways that Newman is. I think if Marquette can really control the ball and they'll grind down the clock, but when when you have the ball, they have a pretty good defense and they'll they'll limit what you're going to do as well. Now the Crusaders will have a tough challenge in round two against Fulton. They get the win 42 to nothing over Chicago Raby. Mitch, did you see that uh, Chicago Ravy wasn't even at the game at like 145? I saw Cody yeah. Cutter tweeting out that the game was supposed to start at two, but Ravy wasn't there as of like 145. So a late start to this one. 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know when they showed up or what the reason was. It could have been legitimate. We're not sure. But yeah, that was a weird, uh, a weird thing to happen during playoff time. So uh, good that they showed up, but Fulton was ready for them whenever they did. Yeah. So some of the names that we expect, you know, from uh, the steamers, Patrick lower, he's back and healthy, played a great game. Uh, Damhoff, he had a connection with lower in this game. Van Campen, Keegan Van Campen also looked really good. So um, Jacob Jones, so many names, you know, the names we hear Mitch for the Fulton steamers, they're playing really good football right now and they get the big shutout win in round one. Fulton steamer football. I mean, this is, this is what they've been doing most of the season. So um, at halftime of this game, the steamers had outgained the Raiders 308 to 45 in total offensive yardage. So, um, you know, rabies, rabies is a unique program. Um, You know, four years ago, they were, they went to the 4A semifinals, Um, but the school's enrollment has just decreased since then. So, um, and I saw a nugget on them in, in reviewing this game. So they didn't play in the spring session. I don't think any of the Chicago public schools did. Um, but the Raiders didn't have enough players to even field a squad when the preseason started. So it was really a, a team effort from their seniors who helped recruit new players. Um, they filled out a roster. I, I think they had roughly 20 players, so really a small, a small squad. Um, but they, they get to six and three and make it to the playoffs. So, you know, good for them. Their coach was, you know, said this is the standard that they, you know, they went through it and had a, you know, a big loss to Fulton. But uh, a unique program here for Raby. Kind of cool to see. Um, but even even cooler for the Seamers to uh, advance around too. Yeah, a few years ago, I I covered them when they were playing at Princeton, and that would have been the 3A playoffs. So yeah, they it's interesting that they went from 4A and a very successful 4A program down to this. You don't you don't want to see a program you know school losing enrollment like that. But um, yeah. either case, yeah, it's unique. But Fulton comes away with the big win. So Mitch, that sets up Fulton going on the road to Ottawa Marquette. November Saturday at one o'clock Gould stadium in Ottawa, Mitch, I'm going to be there. I think it's, okay. it's no, it's no secret that uh, Marquette is my alma mater. So uh, my dad will be on the PA announcing. Um, okay. I'll be there covering it for WQAD and uh, I'll have my intern Casey with me again, uh, you know, for the second week in a row, but uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to get back to uh, Gould stadium for some playoff football and like I say, every year I joke about it with Kyle Campmeyer. If Marquette wants to have success in the postseason, you got to get those NUIC wins. And it starts right here. They get they got to try to knock off a very good Fulton football team. Yeah. Uh, let, let me start with a history lesson here. Uh, as, All right. as, Gold, as Gold Stadium in Marquette was my first ever varsity start. Uh, as, a, as a junior, that was our opening, our opening uh, game. And I remember having to walk down the hill Yep. From the locker room to the field. And it was worse walking up after it was over. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the one of the best games I ever played. So I, I have fond memories of that stadium. It's a, it is a cool place to play. Um, if you and the family are going to be there, you might not be there long because two two teams that just love to, to pound the rock. So it's, it's going to be it could be one of those games that like we've talked about with, with Newman and talked about with Princeton, who can control the clock best? Um, you know, who, who might have the ball last? It could be one of those games. So um, yeah, this will be a lot of fun with two really, really good running offenses. Yeah. I think that um, both these teams, you know, they'll run first, but I think that they can throw the ball. Like we've seen it from Patrick lower and we've also seen it a little bit from Alex Graham. They mm-hmm. can pass effectively when they need to. 
And I think for these offenses, it all comes down to Mitch. We've talked about it with so many teams and it's cliche at some point, but you have to let who, which defense comes up with the costly turnover, which team gets that short field and can get that one extra score. You know, when you're going back and forth, who gets that short field, who gets that touchdown opportunity out of nowhere. I think that's the big difference in this one is where do the turnovers come from? Yeah, this will this will be exciting. You have Keegan Van Campen, you know, up against you know Tom Durden. You have Alex Graham against Patrick Lower. You know, Journey Reed uh, up against the, the Ryan Eadses of the Steamers. So, yep. uh, star power everywhere here. Um, this will be a really fun, really fun one A playoff game. I think um, there Saturday. Not sure what the weather looks like, um, but uh, yeah, this this is this will be an intriguing matchup and really one that is going to set the tone for you know, that matchup that they would play uh, against Forrest and Erlina. Yeah. And I think, you know, looking down the way, that's, that's the big matchup, you know, the, yeah. these, the Forrest and Erlina Winslow, let's jump right into that one. On the other yeah. side, the, the winner of that game would go up against Forrest and Lena Winslow. Forrest gets the 22 14 win over Galena. Mitch, this is a great football game. I think yeah, it was. we didn't, yep. I don't know what we expected based on the outcome in the regular season, but Galena fought, they fought hard. This was a great NUIC playoff football game. Yeah. A rematch from the regular season where Forsen really controlled it. It was, it was a 52 to 20 game, but this, this was a completely different game. This was a dog fight. Um, you forced and took advantage of some Galena miscues to open up the game. Um, on, on back-to-back possessions, they had kind of some gaps on kick returns. So on, on the first possession, they started on their own one-yard line. Uh, and, and then their fourth down punt only went 11 yards. So Forreston scored three plays later. They're up 8-0. Eight, eight on the ensuing kickoff, again, another kickoff uh, return mistake. They were deep into their own territory, but their star player, Ethan Heffel, uh, kind of gave them life. And that really turned the game around. He had a 67-yard run um, that really, again, kind of turned the tide. They like you, like you had said in a previous game, kind of take a breath, kind of get your legs back underneath you, regroup. Um, they would end up tying the game at eight in the first quarter. It was Heffel. He found Calvin Quick for a, for a nine-yard touchdown. So, again, completely different script from that first game where Forsen put up 52. Galena kept battling in this game. The Cardinals would respond. Jacob Fiorello punches it in to go up 16-8. But back comes Galena. They strike again. Ethan Heffel to Brady Schemmelhorn, 45-yard touchdown strike thanks to some great, excellent downfield blocking. That makes it 16-14. But, Mitch, we're not done yet. Let's get into the yeah. third quarter here. Give me, give me the rundown of the rest of this game. Yeah, so later on in the second quarter, uh, the Pirates are still down two. Forsen's driving all the way down to the goal line. They, they handed off to Matthew Beltran, trying to punch it in, trying to get that, that extended lead. The Pirate defense comes up huge with the goal line stop at the one. So, again, they were, they were still down two. Great job by them to preserve, that, to preserve that, uh, that score at that time. You move a little later into the fourth quarter, uh, it, it would be Jacob Fiorello again for Forreston, who darts in from 12 yards out. That put the icing on the cake. Cardinals were up 22-14 at that time. Pirates did get the ball back with about six minutes left to play. They got into force and territory, uh, but just weren't able to do anything, weren't able to get into the end zone. That would secure the Cardinal win. Uh, on, on the game, Forreston, like we've said, like we've said, and like we've seen, running back by committee, they had 407 rushing yards in this game. 
you know, reminiscent of the, of the Rock Island Springfield game with, with as many rushing guards as they had. Fiorello, Beltran, Johnson, Sanders, Devontae King, Black, Nelson, all with over 45 yards in this game. Um, but, but again, enough can't be said about Galena. They, they played so well, um, especially after losing by 30 in, in the first one. Ethan Heppel had over 200 combined yards through the air on the ground. Um, so much so that, that uh, many Cardinal players sought him out even after the handshakes to just congratulate him on a great season because he really did. Galena had a great season uh, to get back into the playoffs. Any team that gets out of that conference and into the playoffs uh, is a heck of a, a heck of a program. And this was a really, really fun 1A dogfight of a playoff game. Yeah, I've uh, one of my favorite games I ever covered was a semifinal game between Forrest and Galena. Yep. Several. I can't remember what year it was exactly off the top of my head, but it was it was great. It was excellent. So that that's such a classic NUIC just battle. And this one lived up to it. You know, yep. credit to Galena. They battled a really good Forrest and team. Forrest and moves on. They get they get the hard fought win, twenty two to fourteen. Mitch, they're going up against a familiar rival yeah. in Lena Winslow. Let's talk about this one. The number six seed Lena Winslow Panthers get the 54 to seven win over Aurora Christian. Yep. You know, Mitch, we talk about it. We've talked about it several times, you know, that Lena Winslow has to play Aurora Christian. And it's kind of that same storyline with IC Catholic and Bishop yep. Mack. It's a school coming from a big area, playing big opponents, larger enrollments, and they're coming down, and it's always that kind of unknown. What do they bring exactly? Yeah. Lena Winslow is phased by <laughs> none of that. No. I mean, just talk about this one, Mitch. They, they, they just they tore them apart. I mean, they just completely dominated this football game. Yeah, I, I, had, texted, I had texted my, my friend up there, um, that just say, good luck, you know, good luck in the game. And um, his response was, yeah, I, I hope it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> when, I saw, when I saw the score of this game, I said, yeah, I bet that was fun. Um, it was the same star power we've seen all season. Mari Roby, Luke Benson, Ethan Bai, Brady, Brady Elders, um, Elders, I'm sorry. All scored in the first two quarters of this game. Roby, yeah. had, 160, Roby had 169 yards and three touchdowns. In the first 13 minutes of the game, <laughs> um, but look, that's that's all on offense. The Panther defense, you know, uh, like you said, they they see Aurora Christian. This is the third straight year. This is the third straight year that they've blown them out. Uh, but you can't do that without good defense, and the Panthers are no exception. Uh, two picks, one by Brady White. He took that back 61 yards to set up a score. Uh, while Brody Mahon had also a, an INT. This one was a 60-yard pick six just before half. So yeah, 54 to nothing lead at halftime. So, you know, Lena coming off that, that, that rough loss, that last second loss uh, to Forreston. And when we saw this bracket come out, our eyes, our eyes kind of went straight there. Like, okay, not only is this a rematch from the season, Greg, but you dug deep into this a little bit for some, for some historic uh, history, historic history, uh, some background <laughs> on Lena and Forreston in the postseason. Yeah. So I knew that they had played several times over the years. So I started looking it up as I was texting Kyle Campmeyer and, uh, he confirmed and, and what I had discovered, they've played six times 
Yep. Starting back in 06. Yep. In 06, Lena won 14-7. In 2010, Lena won 40 to 20. In 13, Lena won 24 to 10. In 2016, Forreston won 48 to 44 to 8. In 2017, Lena won in the semifinals 20 or 12 to 8. And in 2018, Forreston won in the semifinals 34 to 28. Now, what you need to know about this is every time the outside of 06, every other winner went on to be a state champion. Okay. So So, the last last five times these two teams have met in the playoffs has won the state championship. The winner has gone on to be a state champion. So, you know, there's nothing... There's nothing that is a sure thing, but man, that's that's pretty definitive proof right there that this is a really good shot at one of these teams playing in DeKalb and holding the trophy at the end of the day. Yeah, um, and, and you know, it, it certainly could happen. It really could. Two really good teams. Um, may, maybe a tougher road than those five years, just knowing that there's other NUIC, NUIC teams and, and Ottawa Marquette waiting in the wings. Um, but that it, it's certainly you know, not to, to turn away from because just two really good programs. They had a classic matchup in the regular season, you know, force and drove 89 yards to win. Um, and uh, again, we, when we saw the bracket come out, this was a game that we wanted to see in round two, we're going to get it. Um, it's, it's going to be under the lights, which, uh, you know, whatever um, for, for Kyle's, for Kyle's, uh, you know, health, it is staggered with the Dupet game. So at least he can, you know, he can uh, see both. I think he can see both. Yeah. So um, th- this will be this will be fun. My my excitement bucket for this game is is bigger <laughs> than the is, it's bigger than the five gallon bucket of candy my kids got for Halloween. So um, you know, I, I I absolutely love that these two teams are playing. Um, it, this is just going to be a lot of fun. Well, Mitch, we just referenced one of my favorite games I ever covered. Forreston and Galena in the state semifinals. It was at Forreston and it was at night. It was a 6 p.m. kickoff. So it's the exact same scenario as this one. Yeah, that'll be, that atmosphere will be electric. You know, I, it sounds kind of weird to say because it's Lena Winslow, but don't you think they needed a win like that over Aurora Christian? They needed that definitive win. Yeah, they, you know, I, I don't know when the last time that they even had two losses in a season was. Maybe it was more recently than I'm remembering, but that's just how good that they've been. Um, but yeah, you know, you lose to Dupec and, you know, uh, you could de facto lose the conference title in that game. And then you lose to one of your biggest rivals in the in the final week of the, of the year. So, yeah, good for them to to really get back to playing Lena football. Um, you know, whether it was against Aurora, a Christian or, or whoever it would have been against. Um, you, you like to see that offense back running on all cylinders, but Forreston's doing the same thing. So um, tough matchup, you know, with Galena that they proved 407 rushing yards. I mean, what more do you have to say? So yeah, th- this game is really going to be just so much fun. Hard nosed NUIC football to its finest. So Mitch, the question is that first game that they, when they met in the regular season was yeah. lower, lower scoring and Forreston came away with the last minute drive, the, the drive yeah. at the end of the game to win it. 
Can Forreston's defense do that again? Can they yeah. slow down Lena Winslow two times in three weeks? You know? Right. Right. Yeah. I think um, that's the question but, for me. Right. They're going to have to. Um, like we, like well, we said, yeah. Lena, Lena was up 54 nothing at halftime. So they're, uh, you know, presumably back to their, their ways. Um, so, yeah, will it be a different Lena team? What did, what did they take away from that loss to Forreston just, just a week ago? Because um, you have to think that it's been on their minds ever since we saw the brackets. It was probably on theirs, too, knowing that if they got past round one, they would see them again. So we've said it too many times, the, the excitement for this game. But historically, like you said, this, the 1A state champ comes from this game in the postseason. So will, will it happen again? Remains to be seen. Um, but it just uh, adds to the star, you know, the star quality of this matchup. So when you say that, you know, the winner of this game has, you know, that fast track to a state championship based on history. I think Fulton is over on the other side of the bracket here saying, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, yeah. hold hey, on a hey, second. We're, we're right. We're, yeah, we're right here. I mean, uh, not, not to mention, obviously, Marquette, you know, has a really good, you know, has a really good record coming into this and only one loss. But for right. Fulton, Fulton beat Forreston in the regular season. So yep. Fulton is immediately saying, wait a minute, what about us? Now, they didn't play well against Lena Winslow, but, you know, it is what it is. I think that Fulton yeah. has has a stake in this, too, saying we want to get to that quarterfinal matchup and, you know, see what we can do. I it, This this quadrant in the, in the northern bracket is really interesting to me because it's just a lot of really good, hard-nosed defensive football teams that, you know, who can establish the run the most? Who can limit their turnovers and you know? Yeah. Advancing. Well, and, so yeah. you got four four really good matchups, eight really good teams in the one A North. Um, that historically is just in that bracket alone is where the state champ comes from, and and I don't know that there's a whole lot of other outside of of Athens, you know, um, in the South bracket. So yeah, we we could be talking about a state champion here this week for sure. Well, you know, we always talk about the small school football state championships usually run through the NUIC. Yep. And it seems like there's a great chance that that could happen again. Well, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and the NUIC has to run through the NUIC to even yeah. get there. So <laughs> that's, um, that that's just, a fair again, point it, as well. A, a credit to the conference again, because it's just, it's just so good. Well, speaking of conference, you know, the state championships running through the NUIC, I think that's our transition to eight man, Mitch. And I think, again, it's going to be the same way. The NUIC is going to have their say in a potential state championship in the eight-man yep. ranks. Let's look at our first matchup here when we look at the brackets. Martinsville, the number six seed, they got the win over Champaign, St. Thomas More. They will go up against the number three seed, Orangeville, who came mm -hmm. away with the 48-14 to 14 win over Hiawatha. Mitch, in last week's game, Orangeville's Gunner Lobdell surpassed 2,000 career rushing yards and 30 touchdowns. That, yeah. again, courtesy of Kyle from NUIC Football. Yeah. This Orangeville team, they're at 9-1, and one, and they're the three seed behind Milledgeville and Polo, but a really impressive win in round one. And now they have a battle in Martinsville in round two. Yeah, you, you could have told me those stats for, for Gunner Lobdell, that those were his season stats, and I probably would have believed it because – you know, Orangeville has been so good. Um, so yeah, this, uh, you know, with, with lesser teams in the eight man, we're, we're already into the quarterfinals. Is that right? Yep. Correct. Um, 
So, yeah, we're really going to see some really good teams. I, I like Orangeville here just the way they've been playing because, um, uh, again, what more do you need to be – needs to be said about Gunnar Lobdell? Yeah, so that will be in Orangeville on Saturday at 1 o'clock. The winner of that game will go up against the winner of Milledgeville, the number two seed, the Missiles at 9-1, and one, against maybe the upset. I, yeah. I mean, it was. It was an upset, yeah. maybe a surprise team here. Amboy gets the, let's see, what was the final score? 52 to 28 win over Freeport Aquin. So yep. Aquin came in at the seven seed, Amboy at the number 10 seed, and Amboy comes away with the win. Going through this game real quick, Aquin tied the game at 16 late in the second quarter, but Amboy would answer back Tucker Lindemeyer to Brennan Blaine, a 27 yard touchdown catch, kind of a Hail Mary at the end of the half. That gave them the 22 to 16 lead. And from, you know, the reports I read um, from Sauk Valley, that really shifted the momentum in this game. Yeah. Aquin would tie it up in the second half, but Amboy, the first time they touched the ball in the second half, they retake a lead. Joe Quest carries the ball four plays, the last four plays to get the one yard touchdown run. That gave him a 28 22 lead. Amboy finishes with 278 yards rushing, 134 yards passing. Mm-hmm. Lindemeyer runs for 190 yards and three touchdowns in addition to 132 yards passing. So great effort from him. Mitch, but how about the Clipper defense? Give me that stat. Yeah. They gave up just 64 yards on the ground in the second half. Um, so, yeah, close, you know, close uh, 22 to 16 at half. And then that defense really paved the way to, to blow this one out. Yeah, well, that Amboy defense will have to uh, step up again in this second round or in this quarterfinal matchup against Milledgeville. Milledgeville gets the win 64-8 to over Bushnell Prairie City. Connor Nye finishes with 163 yards and two touchdowns, seven for nine passing. He also added 38 yards on the ground. Ashton Novus ran for 53 yards, two scores on just four carries. So talk about effective running for the missiles. Yep, Mitch, this should be an intriguing matchup when it comes to can Amboy continue that defense they showed in that second half? Can they can they slow down the missiles? Can anybody slow down the missiles at this point? Yeah, well, like you said, Novus had uh, two scores on four carries. He also had four four uh, he caught four passes for ninety two yards and uh, and two uh, two touchdowns. So what he had uh, eight touches and four touchdowns. That's pretty 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 efficient. So. Uh, yeah, that Amboy defense is really going to have to do the same thing that they they did against Aquin because Millsville has looked really good all year long, uh, especially behind uh, Connor Nye, Ashton Nobis, Peyton Sarber, Isaac Tom Smith. So names that we've been talking about all year. And uh, this this will be fun. Let's see if Amboy can keep it going. Yep. So this game will be at the Harbor at, at Amboy, right. 1 o'clock on Saturday. Mitch, let's keep moving up the bracket. Number four seed West Central got the win. They will go up against another upset, a, a former NUIC team in South Beloit. They were the 12 seed. They came away with the 20 to 8 win over Flanagan Cornell Woodland. So that's West Central versus South Beloit. That will be at South Beloit Saturday at one o'clock. And up at the top of the bracket, the top seeded Polo Marcos get the 66 to 16 win over West Prairie. Brock Soltau, 171 yards and three touchdowns. Avery Grenoble goes for 89 and two touchdowns. Tyler Meridian had another two touchdowns at quarterback. 
So Mitch, they will go up against Milford Cisna Park, who got the 38 to 20 win over Pawnee. The interesting matchup here in the quarterfinals is that now is a matchup of the only two Illinois eight-man state champions. Milford yep. was the state champion, 18. Polo, the state champion, 19. Yeah, uh, Polo has, has looked really good the last, uh, the last half of this, this season, really. Um, and, and, yeah, really cool to see that, you know, we've talked about a lot that we hope that one day the, the eight-man is officially sanctioned by the IHSA and becomes a, you know, quote-unquote recognized state championship. But for now... Uh, in its infancy to see the two uh, the two only champions going head to head here um, in any round you know if it was in the first round it'd still be cool so uh, yeah interesting matchup here um, Polo boy they, they're they're pretty tough though so um, yeah this will be uh, a good a good game for the top ranked team in eight man yep so that will be at Polo at Saturday at two o'clock that will be against Milford Sista Park so there you go it's uh, that's the matchup set for eight man. And that's it, Mitch. That's, that's, that's the it. rundown of everything we got. So a ton that we just ran down. I don't know. I mean, I didn't think we'd go as long this week, but I think here we are. I think we've gone pretty long again. So uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. What can I say? Yeah. Um, and I, I expect the same uh, next Monday night when we record after, uh, after the weekend, because there's a lot of, a lot of intriguing games. Although some of our teams got knocked out here, you know, in, in week one, uh, the teams still standing have some really fun matchups. And uh, especially in 1A, they're really going to make that race pretty clear um, as to who is, is really making a serious run to DeKalb. Yep. So, Mitch, uh, you got plans on Saturday or what, what uh, games you monitoring? Are you going to try to monitor and be on Twitter? Yeah, I, yeah I'll, be, I'll be on Twitter on our, on our feed for sure. Um, I, I like all these games. I don't know who all is going to be able to stream. Um, yep. You know, obviously, like we talked about, Dupec IC, I've, I've got eyes on. Uh, I really like uh, Bishop Mack against Erie, Newman and Wilmington. Um, and obviously, as you get into into the 1A games, um, really looking forward to seeing uh, Forrest and Alina, like, we, like we've talked about. Ottawa Fulton is going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah, uh, the weekend is, is packed uh, as, as much as it was this week. Um, as we, as we get closer and then closer to uh state championship weekend here in a couple weeks, I was going to say, we had a lot of teams to talk about the first two weeks, but that number is going to dwindle after this week. You know, there's going to be a select yeah. few moving into the quarterfinals, you know, and then even fewer potentially moving into the state semifinals. But, you know, that's the bittersweet part of the year is that, you know, teams are dropping by the wayside, but that's the, that's the exciting part too, is that we're getting yep. into some really meaningful football games and, it's going to be a ton of fun to watch. So follow along on Twitter at view from West pod. Mitch will be on there. I'll be walking the sidelines uh, in Ottawa at Marquette for Fulton. I'm excited for that game. I love, uh, I love some small school one, a football, in the playoff time. Yep. So uh, it's going to be great. So thank you to everyone who listens and for sticking around and we will talk to you all next week. We'll be talking some quarterfinal football and some semifinal football for eight man. So it's uh it's getting down to the nitty gritty, Mitch. So we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, can't wait. That'll do it for this week's episode of View from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at View from West Pod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, viewfromwestpod at gmail.com. 
Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.